Blog Talk Radio. Thank you. 
We praise your name and we thank you. We thank you so much for every day that we have here, but yet we hunger and thirst so much more for the opportunity to stand before you, Lord Jesus, at the wedding supper. We become more and more hungry as every day goes by, hoping that 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 glorious moment that we are transformed, that glorious moment that we stand before you, that which we pray in Luke 21, 36, that we would be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man, to stand before you, Lord Jesus, at the wedding supper, because that's the only place that that could actually be. We know this. Praise your name. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Jesus, Holy Father God, for this electronic gathering, this electronic system that we're, and that enables us to be able to have this prayer vigil in the first place. We thank you, Father, for uh, it appears, I will say this, it appears that I do not have any um, uh, support from those out there. Um, I know that Sister Vera had... Uh, you know, some kind of a dinner party she wanted to go to tonight, and um, Brother Justin didn't confirm. So I don't really have anybody out there that can confirm that my sound is even working. So I just praise God for that. You know, it's, um, so, uh, you know, one time I'll tell you something pretty funny. One time I did an entire prayer vigil, almost three solid hours, to find out later that nothing worked, that nobody heard a peep, nothing was recorded. And I still went ahead and did the entire prayer vigil all by, all by myself. Praise God. So those kinds of things do happen with these technologies. And if you don't have somebody out there that is able to confirm that your sound is working well, yeah, you're kind of on your own. All right. Praise Jesus. So, Father, again, we thank you. We And I'm going to read to every one of you this I just, I just love it, and I'm just going to share it with you because it may bless you as well. It's um, my Jesus calling. I get the, I get the. There's a plethora of different varieties. Debbie says, "Thank you, Debbie. Debbie, you are the only one out there. Uh, you know, I have no idea how many people are listening. All three of you, perhaps. <laughs> Praise God. But anyway, um, thank you, Sister Debbie, for taking the time to let me know that the sound is working. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's a huge blessing." Praise God. Uh, and, oh, hey, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Praise Jesus for you, brother. Uh, as a matter of fact, I want to share this with you. Uh, hallelujah. Um, brother Jim turned me on to uh, this version of Mountain Dew called Pitch Black. Okay, so not only do we have the Maui Burst uh, Dew, Mountain Dew, um, which is a essentially a type of um, Luciferian or Satanic warning uh, in advance uh, that they were going to use uh, directed energy weapons, lasers and things like that, to burn out the houses. Brian, thank you, brother. I see that. Praise God for you. <laughs> thank you, folks. I'll tell you what, it really is a very comforting thing to know that there is at least someone out there that, you know, is listening and is there that can feed back to me because I'm not joking you. It's, I, I've, I've literally sat here for three hours and recorded nada. <laughs> Praise God. And I was like, well, no. But anyway, um, thank you so much. But um, I did. Oh, hey, cool. Praise God. Wow. Hey, Jim, that's some great news. I want to pass this along to everybody so you can get a praise report for Brother Jim. Brother Jim had an MRI performed. Uh, he's been dealing with some, uh, you know, um, 
indications that there could be prostate issues, you know, the kind of things that, the, that we men are so commonly tagged with, uh, you know, when we get into the age group that Jim and I are in. Uh, and, um, you know, he just got a clean bill of health, uh, praise the Lord, uh, from his scans. So hallelujah for that. Otherwise, I was going to have to go out to his house and force feed him fenbendinol. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. So anyway, um, so that's a that's an awesome praise report because, you know, I don't know about you, but I pray for so, 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 so many people that are uh, p- part of this gathering. I know there's hundreds of you. I know there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you that have never emailed me, not once, have never texted me. No, not once. Uh, and that's okay. You know, I, I'm, it, I, believe me, I don't take offense to that. I remember, uh, oh, uh, there was somebody, um, oh, who was it? Goodness gracious. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Um, I can't, I plum can't remember. Oh, yes, I can. It was Reverend Tracy Shellman. Praise the Lord. So Reverend Tracy Shellman, who's going to be joining us on the program, uh, you know, and, 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 and pretty soon, I don't know when the end, actual date is without hunting for it, but basically um, she's joining us, and that's, I find that absolutely fantastic. Um, and she was telling me, uh, you know, that she was over, she's over visiting somebody somewhere. Now, that's irrelevant, really. But evidently there was this woman, lady, I don't know, a, a person there, and uh, and uh, Tracy had mentioned that she was coming on the program, praise Jesus, and um, the uh, the other individual, which this is irrelevant that she's, she's female or male, because as it says in Galatians, the book of Galatians there, and I'm, I'm summarizing the scripture, but it's essentially it says, there's neither man nor woman, Jew or Gentile, we are all one in Christ, you know? So, um, and that's why, what, the way I look at things, you know, but anyway, um, evidently she had a, a female friend that uh, was like all a gag, and she's like, oh, you're going to be on Johnny's show, wow, that's just amazing, can I please come along, can I please come along, can I drive down there with you? You know, and uh, Tracy, <laughs> Tracy had to bring the bad news and tell her that, uh, no, sorry, uh, it's just over the telephone. So, um, you know, it, it's I, I don't really understand this dynamics. I do remember, praise Jesus, when um, the very first time I talked to Brother Zen Garcia w- a very long time ago. I mean, my goodness gracious, a very, very, I mean, if I think about it, 12, 12 years live since um, roughly July slash august of 2011 was when uh, we started doing, doing the program, you know, every single week. And um, it's gone through fantastic change because everybody in, in their walk of what's known as sanctification, that is a process, okay, you don't, you know, press a button or say a certain prayer on a certain day and suddenly become sanctified. It's not how it works. That's why uh, Christians will oftentimes talk, talk, you know, they'll they'll explain, oh, well, he's a baby Christian, you know, he hasn't, he doesn't really understand those things yet or whatever, you know, that that term baby Christian, um, whatever, you know, so, so it's just a term to to indicate that the person is new in their walk, uh, you know, and they've, you know, only taken maybe step number one. Of, of the, if you will, sanctification process. But anyway, um, and that process continues. Um, as a matter of fact, if you do as I did, you know, when I had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the age of nine, and let me say, let me tell you, that knocked me flat out, uh, kept me out of school for three days. My mom knew I, I, was, I was in some sort of ecstasy coma. 
my eyes were open. I could talk. I could eat. But I really was. I was a you know nine-year-old little boy uh, that uh, was in an ecstasy coma. I could not function as a normal human being at all, Um, and I essentially sat in, uh, you know, a chair or a couch or wherever it was that I sat. I don't recall that level of detail, praise Jesus, but um, uh, I I was in in, an ecstasy coma, and um, all I wanted to do was read the Bible. That's it. As a matter of fact, if I recall correctly, I don't think I really ever read the Bible before that happened. You know, I went to church a lot, you know, and it was really fantastic, uh, absolutely anointed First uh, Corinthians 15, um, you know, type of church. It, it, you know, all the things that Paul talked about as far as the behaviors of the church and, you know, when people would prophesy and speak in tongues, they would do it three times and then, you know, then it would be interpreted. Interpreted, so you know they're you know uh, anyway all that stuff. It was just an amazing thing. It was an amazing thing to grow up with and experience. But anyway, the point is, praise Jesus, thank you, Father. Uh, was I, I vaguely recall that I really didn't read the Bible before then, and so I'm in this like strange ex- ecstasy-based uh, coma of some type, uh, and um, I and I was dysfunctional dysfunctional enough that my mother felt compelled to not allow me to go to school, probably because they would have thought I was on some sort of mushroom trip or something and <laughs> sent somebody over to their house to pick up my parents. Uh, although back there, back in those days, back in the, uh, let's see, 62, I was born, so that would have been 62 plus 9. That would have been 71-ish, right? Um, yeah, so back in those days, they didn't have all these evil agencies that would come and steal your kids away and then sell them to the sex slave trade like they have today. But anyway, it's you know, the world that we live in right now is so satanic, and we all know it. We, we You cannot avoid it. And if we're obedient to the word of God and we do what Jesus said, which which was to watch ye therefore, watch ye therefore. You know, we're admonished. We're indeed, I would say, more than admonished. I When I read the scripture and I say, see Jesus saying things like, well, watch and pray and watch ye therefore, there's a lot of that. As a matter of fact, I don't have, uh, I ought to have it and shame on me for not having it up and I'll see if it will come up without I don't know if it'll come up and get, you know, it might come up and give me a bunch of errors. I don't know. But um, my PC study Bible, which is my favorite tool because it's so robust and has so many different translations in it, um, incredible um, tool. But anyway, um, so if I bring up the concordance and I just type on the word watch, I'm just going to do watch all by itself. I'm going to hit the New Testament with the word watch and enter. Aha. Well, there we go. All right, so basically, interesting, Matthew fourteen twenty five says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking by the sea. Now, what that exactly means, uh, I guess you would have to, you, you may know, you may know the answer, praise God, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that really get into the ancient Hebrew and Jewish traditions and stuff, and they understand exactly what chunk of time is, the, you know, the fourth watch of the evening. That's what that's about. Now, um, uh, the, then it says, okay, then Matthew 24, 42, now that's in the Olivet Discourse when Jesus was talking about today. Okay. He was talking about today. Okay, the day that we're in right now. Uh and he said uh in Matthew twenty four forty two he said 
Hold on, I got to double click it. Um, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming, but know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, be ready. <laughs> okay? Because the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you don't expect. Okay? And you might say, well, you know, and I've, I've oh, I've lived it. I've been down, you know, for those of you who ha- are, are a little, have what I would refer to as masochistic tend- tendencies, you like to punish yourself, and you've been listening to the program since 2011, then you have clearly uh, gone on the sanctification journey with me. You've uh, probably experienced um, what I would refer to as saint as insane ups and downs. In fact, uh, I would even argue that they were clinical in some cases. When I was going through the challenges with uh, Trisha and the things that happened with her, uh, you know, if she's listening right now, um, Trisha, I just want you to know that I pray for you continuously. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm really sorry the things that happened happened. I really am. Um, and I know it was beyond your control. All right. Praise God. So, um, but anyway, uh, there was a lot of uh, trauma, you know, that I went through. Um, and, uh, but there's a reason for all of these things. You know, it's like, uh, it's funny because the, I have these little scripture cards, these little bitty cards. They're not even three by five. They're about the size of a business card. And the one that I have right here that I, I, I literally flipped the deck and pulled this one up moments before the, this show started. And, um, you know, I don't know what translation this is, and I don't really care, but it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and many kinds, beca- and many kinds, many kinds of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right, praise God. But then, so you see here in Matthew twenty four forty two, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, that we are being told. Now, remember, this is Jesus's, this is Jesus's discourse. He, this is he's hanging out at the Mount of Olivet. He's been specifically asked to focus on what what you know, Lord, you know, Savior, you know, Jesus, you know, tell us, do tell us exactly what's going to be happening. Um, you know, at the time of your coming. And so he gives you in, in the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24, Luke uh, uh, 21, and Mark 13, uh, there is no uh, rendition of the Olivet Discourse in the in the Gospel of John, which is fine. Um, believe me, between uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, and Matthew 24, you have so much information, it's hard to... To, to digest it all, really. It, it's, it's gobs and gobs. But um, it really gives you an awesome breakdown. But um, you've got um, – so look, in Matthew 24, 42, you have watch therefore because you do not know the hour that the Lord is coming. But know this, that, you know, that, if the, that if the master of the house had known what hour see, you know, the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So this analogy, if you think about it, is tantamount to literally not going to bed. You know, I have a two-story. It's, uh, you know, nothing special, believe me. It's not. It's nothing special in Tampa, and um, uh, and uh, this would be tantamount to saying, "Hey, I'm not going to go to bed tonight. Um, I'm going to go down and sit on the middle of the staircase." And I'm just going to, I'll I'll have my little binoculars, you know, uh, that I got my mini ones, and I'll just, uh, you know, crack the uh, horizontal blinds and watch ye, therefore. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch what's happening outside. I'm going to watch what's going on. I'm going to watch for Jesus. 
right? Because it's using an analogy that suggests that you're going, you know, that you might know the hour that the thief would come. So if you're going to be watching for a thief from your from your uh, stair, staircase, um, you're going to be looking for movement outside. Now, granted, I have some pretty cool um, security cameras up there. They're the, you know, Nest Cams and stuff from Google. Uh, you know, they're just very high quality, and I really like them, but they're kind of expensive compared to a lot of the other brands, but they are super, super duper high quality. But anyway, um, uh, and, I, you know, if, if, if a person was going to arm their house with security cameras the way that my house is armed, and they would do it all at once and one, you know, write one check, it would be a lot of money. It would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But what I did was I did it over three years of time. Okay, so I didn't go out and take out a loan or whip out a credit card and spend like, you know, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars of cameras and go wire them all up one day. It wasn't anything like that. It was like I bought one and I said, oh, I'll give it a try. And wow, this is really neat. And, you know, a few months went by, whatever. And, you know, something came along and I was like, man, I need I, I should get another one. So anyway, um, praise God for that. They used to charge you per camera. So, uh, and so, of course, your monthly fees would increase no, notably, uh, you know, every time you'd add another camera. But now, since Google took it over, it's just one flat rate fee. And I'm like, hallelujah, because uh, the price went down significantly. Praise God. But anyway, watching for a burglar, a thief, you're going to be looking for movement out in the front yard, somebody that's trying to tippy-toe around the front of your house, that, you know, a head that's popping up and looking in a window. That's what you're doing when you're looking for that thief. Watch ye, therefore. And then you go, so not so surprisingly, okay, literally just a couple of verses down the road in Matthew as well, Matthew 25, 13, Jesus Imagine that. Once again, goes right into the concept of watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That is uh, stitched as the last verse of the um, wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25. Amazing. I think it's amazing, don't you? Um, so you would have Jesus talking about the, you know, doing the Olivet Discourse thing. He, you know, he has his, uh, you know, um, you know, the apostles were all around. You know, they were, I believe, you know, I don't remember specifically who asked, but, you know, they, they, I believe it was uh, maybe Peter and John or whatever. But they were, you know, they asked them specifically, you know, what's going to happen? And, um, and, and, you know, there, there's all these watch therefore, watch therefore, because you don't know what day or, day or the hour. <clears throat> now, what we do know, though, however, we've got to be real careful about this. There's a lot of people out there that many of which I used to follow, <clears throat> but you live and you learn. And through your sanctification process, praise Jesus, thank you, Father. Through your sanctification process, that sanct- sanctifi- the sanctification process of the work of somebody, especially one, you know, uh, or the, I should say not the work, but the pursuit of a believer, the pursuit, their pursuit of growing closer to the Lord, the pursuit of becoming on a daily basis more of a citizen of heaven. Uh, what is it? Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, <clears throat> as you increase that pursuit... You know, you got in the book of James, it says, if anyone is friends with the earth, they are at enmity with God, hatred with God. Imagine that. So if you're sitting around going like, and then if you get into Galatians 5.19, which we talked about on a prior program, you know, there's even a mention of a behavior that if we practice on a regular basis, 
which is essentially, um, you know, being earthly minded, having wishes and dreams and wanting that new, that really new cool um, Ford sedan or whatever, or Mercedes Benz car or whatever the case is. We're not supposed to be doing that. When we're at friends with the earth, when we're, you know, and this isn't talking about adoring flowers in a beautiful field or uh, watching some sort of cool documentary about undersea life and, you know, whatever, uh, whales and things. It, that's not what it's talking about. That's, uh, that is falling in love with God. Okay, that's falling in love with God because God is all around us. God is in our creation. Um, earth is actually a type of... Now, be careful with this, but I'm just going to say it, and then you'll have to understand the difference between a glorified planet versus a non-glorified planet, and it gets a lot more detailed than that. I'm not going to get into it, but basically, Earth is a type, kind of a type of planet heaven, okay? So a lot of, you know, the the waterfalls and the majestic mountains and, you know, the, uh, I mean, New Zealand is one of the most beautiful uh, countries in the entire world, probably second to none. As a matter of fact, one person that I had um, known, uh, not personally, but through watching some videos and stuff, Um, uh, she had said that New Zealand would be the result if Hawaii and Switzerland got together and had babies. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a pretty cool, you know, way to describe it. But it is. If you ever get a chance to see a documentary of New Zealand, it's one of the most beautiful places in the entire earth. Praise God. So anyway, but then you go on to like, like, Okay, now you've got Matthew twenty six thirty eight, where Jesus is saying, um, you know, stay here and watch with me. Now, let me make sure I have that. Hold on a second. I may have that out of context. It says, Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. So this is when they're, he's at the Garden of Gethsemane. And, um, and he, says, he, he, he says, and he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be very sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And then later he gets a little bit frustrated and says, what, you couldn't watch for one hour? He kind of spanks them a little bit because they fell asleep. Um, but that that's not part of the whole watch ye therefore, okay? So, again, I'm seeing, you know, Mark, uh, Matthew 27, uh, therefore they kept watch over him there. That's not part of keeping watch for the thief in the night. Um, uh, you know, uh, again, you got, now, now we jump over to Mark 13, 9, but watch. Uh, hold on a second. Wait a minute. This is a little bit different. Um, aha, this is very interesting. Now here there, uh, Jesus is warning us that you want to watch out for yourselves because they'll deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues, which you have to translate that prophetically into the word church. Okay. And you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them, etc. Okay. Okay, then you go to Mark 13:33. Now now we're starting to get deeper into the Olivet discourse and Jesus says, "Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is." Okay? And then he goes on, "It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each one work and commanded them, uh, you know, the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not want to know when the master is coming." In the evening, at midnight, in the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest come suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch! 
And by the way, the reason why I leaned into that uh, loudly is because it has a big old capital letter, and it, it you know, uh, it, it's, it's capital W it, with a big old exclamation point at the end. So it is an exclamation. It's, a, it's, it's an exclamatory remark. So Jesus is essentially pointing his, you know, you have to imagine him pointing his finger at you and saying, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now, I've followed people, praise Jesus, over the years. Uh, I'm not going to mention their names because I don't want it to sound disparaging in any sort of a way. But I've followed many, many, I think, incredible teachers of the Word. Um, many of them are very Jewish in how they look at the Bible, which, by the way, adds a really nifty um, – you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned by understanding the um, uh, traditions and practices of the ancient Hebrews. I love Chuck Misler's rendition of explaining the, the, the coming of Jesus for the bride uh, against, you know, the backdrop of an ancient Hebrew wedding and how the Father, how our Heavenly Father, the Father, of the house would basically build on, you know, this is what Chuck said, I'm taking it face value. I do not, I am not, you know, I'm not sitting here reading, uh, you know, a chapter out of a Josephus book, okay? I'm just repeating or, you know, whatever, what I recall, what I recall with a margin of error, uh, Chuck Misler teaching, okay? And he, he said that, that uh, the ancient Jewish tradition of the wedding uh, you know, and and and, and it, it, you know, to, to Americans, a wedding is basically going down to the justice of the peace, saying a few words, walking out with a certificate, and saying woohoo. Or it can be something extravagant where you spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars and regret it a, a year later and wish you could afford a car. Um, but anyway, um, but my. Where I'm heading at with this is in the Jewish tradition, according to Chuck Misler's rendition of that, he said that the father of the bride would build on an extension onto the house. Now, and I'm not going to get into all the, you know, stuff like, you know, thinking, oh, well, what if he doesn't have room or what if there's no property to do it or what if he couldn't get a building permit? Forget about that. The point is that supposedly the father of the bride would build on an extension to the house, you know, a couple of rooms or whatever, so that they had a place to live, okay? Um, and uh, I'm sorry, and, and I got that backwards, okay? So forgive me for that. It was the father of the bridegroom, okay? So the father of the bridegroom would build on, uh, you know, a couple of extra rooms so that when the bridegroom would go get the bride, he would come back to the father's house. This is so cool because it's like right around the corner for us, okay? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I hope you know what I'm saying. But anyway, um, so the bridegroom would have a place to bring his bride. He would take his bride back to the father's house, which who, who is listening to this program right now in Jesus' name, that doesn't want to go to the father's house, like now. <laughs> okay. You know, how many nanoseconds would pass by before you would answer an archangel that showed up in your bedroom tonight and said, would you like to go home to your father's house right now. I mean, would you hesitate? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I would spring out of my bed and literally jump through the air into the arms of the archangel. <laughs> and I'd say, let's go. Okay, praise God. But anyway, um, but so so you got that dynamic going on where the, where the extra rooms are built on. And then the bridegroom, when the father says, so there's a lot of people out there. That, remember, I said I wasn't going to name any names, and I'm not. 
But there's a lot of people out there that believe that they have the secret formula for Jesus' coming. They believe that there are ways... I'm not going to go back and pick on anybody about, you know, all the uh, street signs and, uh, and, and such that were put up uh, a few years back and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into all that. But there are those out there that teach and in some cases even have entire um, teaching series, you know, like DVD sets, on their belief that you can predict precisely when Jesus is coming, even though the scripture says no one knows, only the Father, not even the angels in heaven, okay? So they're naturally, we being the humans and weak and frail and kind of tiny little peanut brains that we have, even if we have gone and walked a really holy, righteous, and humbling, contrite spirit, feeling unworthy, as you grow in your sanctification, you feel less and less worthy. Let me tell you something. That's a fact. The more you grow in your sanctification, the more closer you become to the Lord, the more you realize how utterly pathetic you are. <laughs> you Suddenly it's like the light bulb comes on when you, when you read you know, Isaiah and he's like, I am undone, and you know, that whole thing, and the, the coals on the lips and the whole deal. So... But it's part of the sanctification growth process. But anyway, so I've studied under, and I mean literally taken documentaries and, you know, teachings, et cetera, et cetera, from these various people that believe that they came up with this secret formula for Coca-Cola where you could watch the moons rising at a certain time in Israel, but you had to stand in a specific place, and that would tell you exactly the Hebrew day. They would divorce themselves from any kind of a written calendar because that actually was what the, um, you know, the ancient Hebrews did do. Uh, they watched for the moon rising. The moon, they're on a lunar cycle, and they would see the, loon, the moon rising over, over the top of a mountain, and at that point, they would break out a, uh, a shofar, and they would blow the shofar really, really loud, and then everybody would know that, you know, that's the marker. That's the time marker for, you know, I believe it's like Yom Teruah or something like that, the beginning of the new year, whatever. But anyway, um, uh, and I, I, I'm not an expert on those things. There are some people out there that are quite expert on these things, and they, they really dig, dig deep into it and probably have double PhDs on that subject. I don't. I'm very much interested in Jesus and the New Covenant. Okay, this whole idea of using the Old Testament to, you know, decipher or try to outwit our Heavenly Father or somehow make Jesus's Jesus's words to us less convicting. I don't like that. I don't go for that anymore. But there was a time that I did. Okay, and I followed those people heavily studied all their teachings, and um, because I wanted to know. I wanted to know. And there's a lot of people out there that still do that. They want to know. They believe that what Jesus said, there was a loophole, <laughs> okay? There was a loophole. It wasn't good enough that Jesus, who is God, stood there and said, nobody knows, not even the angels. Nobody knows, only the Father. You know, but that's not good enough. We always think that we can outsmart you know, God, right? Because that's how we are. <laughs> that just kind of underscores how teeny-weeny our brains are. So anyway, praise God. So my brain was very teeny-weeny back then, and it's probably even smaller now. But um, the um, 
What's interesting, though, is in all these scriptures, and I could continue to go on, um, watch, therefore, you do not know when the master, you know, this is uh, Mark 13, 35. So you've got Mark 30, 13, 33, take heed, watch and pray for you. Do not know what, you know, what the time is, et cetera, et cetera. You got Mark 13, 35, just a few verses south, where it says, watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master's coming. Uh, in the evening, midnight, the luck, row, crow of the rooster. We talked a little bit about that. And then Jesus say, I say to all, watch. Okay. And then um, let's see. Then you've got Mark 13, 37, which is part of the same passage. Um, I'm looking more. Watch and pray. There you go. Uh, Mark 14, 38, where it says, um, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the, the, you know, the flesh is weak. Okay. And then it just... There's so many of them, folks. I mean, Luke 12:38. Uh, no, no, 12:38 is talking about the first watch, second watch, and third watch, and that is referring to the three raptures: barley harvest, wheat harvest, and grape harvest, which is in Revelation 14. If you use the NLT, you will see it, the actual words "grape harvest." Okay, so when I saw that in the NLT, I just about fell off my chair. I was like, it just doesn't get any better than that. Okay, but um, Luke twenty one thirty six, we all know about this. I pray this. I mean, I literally, re, uh, what do you call it, recite it. Okay, in the mornings when I pray, I, I say, you know, watch ye therefore. Watch, watch therefore and pray always. Okay, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all, all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, uh, and there's more, there's more, um, uh, you know, uh, scriptures that I could point out, but, but they're not um, directly related to the concept of watching for Jesus, watching for the thief in the night. Uh, you know, no, and you might say, well, if nobody knows the day or the hour, 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 why did I repeat that like that skipping record? Because I'm a literalist. And literalists annoy other Bible study people. They annoy them real bad. Because <laughs> other Bible study people, other people that, that study the Bible, they love to do what's called, what I would refer to as, you have to look up the word, it's called preterist. P-R-E-T-O-R-I-S-T. Preterist. P-R-E-T-O, yeah, pretor, O-R-I-S-T, preterist. They like to do what's called, what I would call, and I don't even know if there's a form of the word preterist such as this, but I, I, they like to do preteristic things. Now, if they're, I don't, you know, maybe I just made up a word, okay? Um, but preteristic, what that is, is what it means is that you are using metaphor. You're, you're pointing to the scripture and you're saying that's a metaphor. What, what that does is that allows the person who's interpreting the scripture to have what's called um, interpretation license. You now have an artistic license where you can just say, oh, well, that, that, that happened back in the 1600s, or oh, well, you know, uh, the Chernobyl nuclear plant melting down was the second uh, trumpet, you know, and the Great Tribulation is behind us, and now we're waiting like the Seven Mountains folks are for Jesus to take over, you know, education, Hollywood, you know, we can all see that the Seven Mountains people are right now, right? Right? I mean, look at what's going on with Hollywood and adrenochrome and filthy, horrible, abominable 
dead, bloody babies on the stage in a satanic worship ceremony at the Grammy Awards, for crying out loud. I mean, it, the list just goes on and on. Nothing is getting better. Everything is getting worse. Uh, you know, worse and worse and worse. I don't understand for the life of me how anybody could be on board with this whole Seven Mountains mandate stuff because it's so well it's ridiculous it's sad and it's going to lead so many astray and it has led so many astray one of the favorite things that the seven mountains people and and i'm not going to mention any names but one of their favorite things to say is oh y'all are a bunch of doom and gloomers (laughs) so whenever you hear that coming out of a somebody's mouth that claims to be a believer especially if they tell you that just yesterday they were having tea with Jesus in heaven. Watch out. And I'm not saying watchy, therefore. I'm saying watch out. Now, if you go back, if you're a literalist like me, you take every single word literally. So when I look at Luke 21, 36, and it says, you know, where, where it says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, I take every word literally. Now, is that pushing it a little too far, perhaps? Maybe so. I don't know. I'll have to wait and find out. If Jesus throws me a couple of bags of Andy's candies at the wedding supper, I'll, I'll probably be sitting way in the back with my Hawaiian shirt. Um, uh, you know, then praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody, everybody is going to want a little bit of a pat on the back and probably a big hug from Jesus when we get there. All right. There's nothing wrong with that. I can't imagine not feeling that way. All right. Now, um, and I think, you know, I read on the last show, and I probably should read again, uh, and I think I am, about the bummer lambs. Okay. I I really, I'm going to read that right now, as a matter of fact. So let me bring that up, and then I'm going to circle back to we don't know the day or the hour, because that is so, so very important to embrace. We need to embrace that. And why do we need to embrace it? Because there's a secret. Yes, there's some secret sauce in there, and we want that secret. So I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, the little story about the bummer lamb again. Uh, I sent this around to a, a handful of folks um, and uh, got some pretty emotional feedback. It certainly was emotional to me. When I read it, it was like something like 4.15, 4.20 in the morning, and I had tears literally streaming down my face. And uh, it goes like this. I don't, I'll just read it. I know I read it before, but I'm going to read it again. Every once in a while, a ewe, which is a you know, baby sheep, uh, I'm sorry, a female sheep, will give birth to a lamb and reject it. If the lamb is returned to the ewe, the mother may even ki- kick the poor animal away. Once the ewe, the female you know, sheep, rejects one of her lambs, she will never change her mind. These little lambs will hang their heads so low that it looks like something is wrong with its neck. Now, I'm just going to take a millisecond or two. Uh, no, nah, that's, a, that's a dirty fib. Okay, I'm going to take maybe 60 seconds to, to inject a thought here. Remember the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Okay, go into any um, evangelical American church. Take your pick. Randomly go into one. Stay away from the dead Protestant churches like I'm not I don't want to name names uh, folks, but hopefully you have a pretty good idea which ones those are. <laughs> okay. But um 
go to some of the Assembly of, the, uh, Assembly of God churches. Go to some of the uh, Pentecostal churches. Look at the attitude of the people that are there. Watch how they run up and down the aisles, you know, just joyful and jumping and for joy and so happy and flags in their hands and, oh, they're so good. But the thing, Jesus pointed over to the Pharisee, and what was the Pharisee doing? He was going, oh, thank you, God, that I have been chosen. Thank you, God, that I am going to heaven, that I am special. I am this, I am that. And Jesus pointed to the tax collector who evidently was standing nearby the Pharisee in this particular uh, parable, and he said to everybody that was listening, he said, and, and, and the tax collector is hanging his head down. Now, remember about the bummer, bummer lamb? Remember about the bummer lamb? I hope you do. The Pharisee's hang, hanging his head down. The Pharisee's shouting for joy because he is so privileged. But the tax collector's hanging his head down, tears streaming down his eyes, I would imagine, and rents his robe, tears his shirt. I say tears his shirt. You know, I don't know. I, I really don't know much about how they dress back then. I mean, I suppose it's like, like in the movies and the robes and everything, a robe and gown kind of thing. But anyway, um, you know, rents his robe, which basically means grabs, grabs it essentially at the neck and pulls really hard so that it just rips down the middle. Um, and just cries out, you know, I am unworthy. I am unworthy, which, by the way, echoes back to all of the scriptures where it says, the Lord saves such as have a contrite spirit. He is close to such as have a contrite spirit. And of course, contrite means rueful, regretful, sorry. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Okay, so, um, and it's funny, it looks like my little echo here uh, that I have on the desk, uh, it's a little video thing, is listening to me talk because it's flashing Bible verses up on the screen at me. That's <laughs> just too funny. But anyway, praise God. So, so, but, but look, at, look at what it says here. These little lambs hang their heads so low that it looks like something is wrong with their, you know, its neck. You know, that's very reflective of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, isn't it? And Jesus told everybody, you need to be like the tax collector. There's no place, other than having joy in Christ, joy in the fact that death has no grip on us, the grave has no meaning to us. I was talking to the, my, my boss literally today, and I said, um, you know, if I get diagnosed with cancer right now and they tell me I'm going to die in three days, I'm going to be the happiest dude in the whole wide world. You know, I'm going to be like, right on. I'll call up my daughter. I'll hurry up and do a living will real quick and tell her she can have all my junk and whatever. But I'm like going to be packing my bags. There's, nothing's going to stop me. I'm like out of here. I'll be like Snagglepuss, you know, exit, stage left or right, or up. I don't care. Whatever direction leads to out of here. Okay, but um, it's just amazing to me that, you know, it says right here, these little lambs hang their heads so low that they look like something is wrong with their necks. Their spirit is broken. These lambs are called bummer lambs. Unless the shepherd intervenes, that lamb will die, rejected and alone. Now, Yes, I am injecting thoughts as I'm reading this. I hope it doesn't irritate you, but I, things are coming into my 
it's that thing. Whenever I talk about the Lord, I don't care if it's on the phone with somebody. It doesn't matter. I, whoever it is I'm talking to, even if it's over a text messenger or an email, you know, and, you know, mostly text messengers because there's a little bit more back and forth. But Bible verses, literally Bible verses and experiences in Christ and testimonial things that have happened to me over my life, they all start to just pass through me. I don't know if it's my spirit or my soul or my mind. I don't know. But they it's like a parade of Bible verses just enter into my heart. And I just, it's amazing. It's weird. It's very, I don't know if I go back into the seventies, it's trippy. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, um, praise God. So, um, but it's like, unless the shepherd intervenes, the lamb will die rejected and alone. And the reason why, let's think about this. I've had people tell me, John, you know, it is unhealthy for you to be a prison of, prisoner of Christ at the degree that you are. You need to get out of the house. You need to go have more interaction with people and humans. You don't have a wife. You don't have anybody to talk to. You don't have anybody to go out with. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm just drawing a, an analogy, a comparison, if you will, to what this is saying about the bummer lambs. But this is not just me, you see. I'm just a great example, okay? But one of the things that comes up in these conversations that happen relatively frequently, actually, um, where somebody will say, oh, you need to get out of the house. Oh, you need to go join a church. You know, my sister would tell me, oh, just go join a church. Just don't say anything. That's what she would say. Don't say anything. Just go there for the fellowship. Make friends and listen to other people talk. What kind of fellowship is that? I'm asking you, what kind of fellowship is that? If you can't have a conversation with somebody about things that you're passionate about, and what are you going to do when you're sitting there amongst other believers and somebody in the church, I don't know who, could be the pastor, behind, you know, could be the preacher. Somebody in the church is saying something that you know, or, or not just saying something, watch out for this, or omitting something leaving something critical out of the story. Jumping around on the stage saying, isn't it wonderful that Jesus loves us? Isn't it wonderful that we're going to heaven? Isn't it wonderful that we're not going to be here for any of the bad things because we're going to be raptured? Isn't it wonderful? Hallelujah! And everybody in the church jumps up and starts jumping up and down, jumping up and down, jumping up and down, raising their hands. Glory to God! People start speaking in tongues. You know what? That entire church service, you will never see... You will never hear the word hell. You will never hear any statement of obligation regarding our behaviors. You will only hear entitlements, positive, itchy ear entitlements, getting people all excited. They pump the collection plate. They go home excited, and then they go right back into their sinful ways. So anyway, um, so how many of us you know, when, when somebody would say to me, for example, to close out that, um, is it an analogy? Whatever. Uh, and they would say to me, Johnny, you need to get out of the house more. You know, go join a church. Don't say anything. Just kind of hang out. Listen to other people talk. Well, first and foremost, I think we would all agree that that is in no way what anyone could refer to as fellowship. Fellowship is a two-way 
transfer of stuff. You know what I mean? It's fellowship. It's, you're, you know. As a matter of fact, there's a saying regarding being lonely, and that is uh, sometimes loneliness is sometimes a person. I'm butchering this, but I'm going to butcher it anyway. Sometimes a person, sometimes one of the loneliest places on earth is a place where you're around a lot of people. Um, so you can take that and you can inject that concept into all aspects of your life, your family Christmas parties, uh, your Thanksgiving coming up. By the way, I got some bad news. Uh, sorry about this, guys, but praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you know I look, we got to look at it as good news, and here's why. Because bad news is good news because it means we're getting close to leaving. I'm going to circle back to watch ye, therefore, in a moment. But that lamb will die rejected and alone. Now imagine being so alone in a church, surrounded by believers, and there's no fellowship. If I had a dime, I know it's colloquialism and it's kind of silly, but I'm just going to say it anyway. If I had a dime for every time a believer in the last 12 years told me that they cannot talk to, they cannot have conversations with their spouses or their children at all about any of the things that are happening today, Without being called names, um, literally, when Jesus warned us that you know it be our moms and our dads and our uncles and our aunts and our kids and you know pretty much our entire families um, that would turn us in, they're going to rat us out like brown shirts in the Nazi days because we're one of those evil conspiracy theorists and we're a danger to society because we're not masking up, which, by the way, segues into my unfortunate news regarding the fact that intelligence uh, personnel have whistleblown and contacted Alex Jones. Now, granted, you might say, well, they're contacting Alex Jones and this, that, and the other thing. Whatever. Okay, whatever. I, I don't have time for that. Let me just let you know that he has received phone calls from True Blue Insider Feds that listen to his show and love his show. And they're, they have his you know, personal number on his cell phone kind of thing. And he's received two confirmation, one from a uh, Border Patrol agent and one from uh, somebody who works, I think, in, in a management position with TSA in Washington, D.C. And both of them were told to prepare for the B dot, oh, Lord Jesus, what is it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Let me look. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, here we are. Yep. Yep, here it is. I'm going to I don't want to dork it up. Dun, 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 dun. So, it's B A Bravo Alpha dot 6 variant and supposedly I take this with a total grain of salt, but supposedly there is intelligence or lack thereof uh, being spread in Canada and also various parts of the United States, which, you know, what does it mean? I don't know. But they're saying, these entities, or whoever they are, that this BA.6 variant is really, really bad, and people are dying like crazy, which, of course, is the, you know, it just, it's the same pack of lies that we had going on. Now, don't get me wrong. I have lost, I lost a relative, uh, you know, um, because they killed, they murdered her with the uh, ventilator. 
at the Hershey Medical Center, which is supposed to be, you know, it's part of Penn State University and one of the supposedly one of the most renowned hospitals in the world. Uh, and they murdered her with a ventilator. Um, so, uh, and that's just one of multiple people. Um, Douglas Riggs, he died of it. Um, there's just a big list. But anyway, the point is, guess what? We are being told now that we're going to have, by mid-September, the United States of Babylon the Great will be on full lockdown with mandatory masks, and it's going to get really nasty by the middle of September, which really kind of is awful to me because that's entering in to the uh, holiday season, and I was kind of hoping to have, you know, kind of like a fun holiday, you know. I mean, how much fun can you have in these kinds of ugly, dirty, black, sinister, abominable days? I mean, right now, if you watched uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the original, uh, they wouldn't be calling him the uh, abominable snow, or the abominable snowman. They'd be, or wait a minute, the uh They'd be calling the abomination snowman or whatever. I got my words minced, but whatever. Um, But let's circle back. Died rejected and alone. So you can feel alone in a large group of people, more alone in a large group of people, more alone in a large family gathering. You know, some of my family, historical family Christmas get-togethers had 30, 40 people at them. Okay. Uh, And um, I can tell you as a fact. That's a true story. That's a true statement. If when I go to my, I'm not going to say it's ever going to happen again. I would like, I like to think that I can see my family one more time before this all breaks loose, but I may not be able to simple as that. And, um, uh, but if I can, you know, here's the point is when I'm in that group of 40 people, I'm not openly talking out loud about the things that are happening around the world. I'm not going to sit there and talk about, you know, the Maui burst, you know, uh, directed energy weapon Mountain Dew. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to talk about the pitch black uh, Mountain Dew that they, and by the way, these cans were created, the art, the artwork on these cans were created around 2019. Okay. But, you know, so I'm just letting you know, they've been around for a while, Uh, but these are, Absolutely warnings from the Luciferians, okay, from the saint worshippers, adrenochrome drinking baby killers, okay? Now, um, which are everywhere. They're so pervasive, it just creeps me out. I mean, it's like reptilians everywhere. It's total manifestation of the movie they live from the 80s. But anyway, these, again, it's, you know, the lamb will die rejected and alone. Imagine that. Hanging your head down so your spirit is broken, your spirit is broken. Goes on to say, so do you know what the shepherd does? He takes the little the little one into into his home, hand feeds it, and keeps it warm by the fire. Almost sounds like the little lamb can't even stand, doesn't it? Then it goes on and says, he, the shepherd, will wrap it up with blankets and hold it in his chest so the bummer lamb can hear his heartbeat. Wow. Once the lamb is strong enough, the shepherd will place it back in the field and with the rest of the flock. But the sheep never forgets how the shepherd cared for him, the bummer lamb, when his mother rejected him. Now, by the way, that is uh, synonymous, analogous to our rejection. You ever try to witness to somebody about the things that are happening out there? What are they going to what are they going to say about you? How badly are you going to be rejected? 
Can you talk to your family? Can you talk to your children? Can you talk to your aunt and uncle? What can you see at your family Christmas party? Nothing. Okay? Right? When the shepherd calls for the flock, guess who runs to him first? That's right. The little bummer land. He knows his voice intimately. It is not that the bummer lamb is, is loved more. It's just, it just the bummer lamb knows intimately the one who loves him. He knows the love of his master who saved his life. And Jesus is saving our eternities, which is even bigger. So many of us are bummer lambs. Rejected and broken. Anybody want to raise your hand? <laughs> I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I'm supposed to go out uh, and uh, have, have lunch with my daughter tomorrow, and she canceled last week, so we'll see if it actually happens. But I, gotta, I, I, can't, I can't tell her stuff. You know, she inherited my uh, generalized anxiety disorder, which is not a fun thing to have. And I, I actually have a relative, another relative that's very close to me blood, bloodline-wise, and uh, she has extreme – I mean, if she has an anxiety attack in a Walmart, she will literally flop on the ground like a fish out of the water, and she will start to spasm and flop on the ground. And she's a big lady, man. Let me tell you something. And just – like, have you ever seen a fish when, when, they, when they are out of water and they can't breathe and they're like flopping around, flopping around, flopping around? That's how she, flop, she flops around. She can't talk. She can't – foams at the mouth, the whole deal. They have to call an ambulance. Um, now they got her medicated and everything. I'm not going to get into all that. But anyway, you, you understand that you know, some people have anxiety disorders that are debilitating. Thank you, Jesus, I don't. Mine is bad enough. Um, but, um, yeah, she, she's got it really bad. My daughter has it too. And I have to watch what I say because she can't handle it. She is not progressing in her sanctification. Matter of fact, because of her mother insisting that the earth is only 6,000 years old, she almost lost all of her faith and went atheist. And she confided in me at a restaurant and said to me, I'm really having a hard time believing in Jesus and believing, you know, because mom insists that the earth is only 6,000 years old. And I said to her, I looked her right in the eyes and I said, that is the biggest pile of baloney anybody's ever said. The earth is millions, possibly billions of years old. And my daughter looked at me with eyes of wonder. Um, but anyway, I just you know it, it, it's critical. The problem is small-minded thinking about the interpretation of the Bible endangers people's salvation. It endangers their eternity. Extremely so. I'm first-hand evidence of that. My own daughter. Okay, so it goes, it goes, that's right, the bummer sheep. He knows his voice intimately, and it's not that the bummer lamb is loved more by the shepherd. It's just he knows intimately the one who loves him. So many of us are bummer lambs, rejected and broken, but he is the good shepherd. He cares for every need, holds us close to his heart so we can hear his heartbeat. We may be broken, but we are deeply loved by the shepherd. From one bummer sheep to another, I love you. Now, that is a very, 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 very powerful little teaching. 
Um, because I think, I believe with all of my heart that we are, all of us, anybody who's living, listening to this program is a bummer lamb. And if we didn't have Jesus to fall back on, I don't care if you have a loving wife or whatever. Let me tell you something. That's a, that's a wonderful gift from the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And you should be very, very happy. And that's coming from somebody who's dorked up more. <laughs> that song, you know, all my exes live in Texas. That was like literally written about me. Forget about it. I'm just saying. But anyway, but if, but if you're one of the fortunate few that have a loving spouse and that spouse You know, maybe they're not on a 1,000-milligram red pill, but they're on an 800-milligram red pill. Hey, how blessed are you? How blessed are you? That is a super incredibly powerful blessing. Now, one of the things I've noticed from some of the people, the believers that have, you know, that talk to me on a regular basis is sometimes their spouse, you know, is on the 1,000-milligram red pill, but they can't handle it. What that means is they're fully aware that all these things are happening. They're fully aware of the directed energy weapons. They're fully aware that thousands of children were burned to death uh, in Maui. They're fully aware that the uh, CBDCs are about to come out, that the social credit system is about to make us all poor and walking through the streets wondering where our next meals come from. They're fully aware of all these things. They know it. They see it. They know it, but they can't face it. They just simply can't face it. So what they do is they do what a lot of people do that are going through trauma. They use substitution. So you can walk up to them and you can tell them, hey, did you know that there's a you know, Mountain Dew pitch black out there? And, um, and they'll listen you know, and they'll go, oh, really? Okay. And they'll nod their heads. And you'll have that connection with them for, uh, you know uh, – 30 seconds. But they'll break away from you and they'll go back to their gardening. They'll break away from you and start watching, you know, the next episode of Suits or whatever. Um, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they just can't, they can't dwell there. It just freaks them out. It, they just, they disconnect. So what happens is you only get to give them teeny weeny little bites and they'll acknowledge the bite but they will run away as quick as they can. They want to get back to whatever it is they're doing, reading whatever book, whatever that, that is, that they like to do because they don't want to think about it. They've got to get away from it. It drives them nuts. It doesn't drive me nuts. You know, I will admit, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, that I actually have the opposite effect in my life. Now, don't get me wrong. On Sunday, sometimes I get lost in a couple of really good movies or whatever, you know, because I'm a prisoner of Christ in a, a supermax prison, and I don't, you know, most of the time I, I have no place to go. I was having a conversation with one person, and they were like, well, you need to get out. You know, it's the same thing, the same story all the time. You need to get out and do something. And I said, well, I'm not really the type to sit at a bar, you know, like Norm Peterson in Cheers. Um, are you? And then they would always respond back, no, I'm not like that either. I said, hmm, Okay. Well, I guess we'll rule that out. Um, you know, and I, we go over this list of opportunity or options, you know, that might be available. And every single one of the options comes up dry, comes up dead. It's like, no, everybody agrees they wouldn't do it. And so when I do that, and I'm not complaining, I'm just sharing that data. Um, uh, it, the, the net end result, the conclusion of the conversation is invariably going to be the same every single time. And that is 
There isn't an option. There is not an option. So anyway, and, and that's especially doubly so for me because the Lord prophesied over me when I was uh, 10 years old through my mother, which I've testified about gazillions of times, I don't even know how many times, on radio shows and everything, about a dream that she had which said that I was going to be a well-known, you know, end times preacher or whatever, uh, uh, you know, and I was going to be single. And let me tell you something, when I deviated from that plan, that opened up. Uh, a butt whooping like no other <laughs> right out of Amityville are. So anyway, um, let me just tell you, if the Lord has made up his mind and he's told you that you're going to do this and this and this when you were 10 years old prophetically, you better buckle up and you better be ready to do this and this and this. Do not deviate from that plan because it does not make the Father happy. Even the desire to deviate from that plan is a smack in God's face. And you'll feel the pain. But anyway, that's all just kind of beside the point. So anyway, um the so the so when you so I just praise Jesus for the bummer lamb story. Oh, you know what I want to do? Yeah, hallelujah. It just popped in my head here real quick. I'm gonna do this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Okay, so I want to go ahead and get my screen scraping snatching tool. I'm gonna to grab the bummer lamb story and I want to put it into the prayer vigil. Notes. Praise God. All right. There it is. All right. So anyway, um, so now I'm going to circle back to where I was about watching ye, therefore, because in the beginning of my sanctification process. So what I was going to explain was, yes, I had that incredibly powerful, unbelievable, supernatural experience at the age of nine, nine, 10, 11, and 12. I would say I was so on fire for the Lord. It was unbelievable. Words cannot describe Thirteen, probably on fire for the Lord, pretty much. Fourteen, probably still pretty much on fire for the Lord, but maybe starting to dwindle a little bit. Once the hormones kick in, as uh, you know, I don't care if you're a girl or a boy, once they kick in, the backsliding starts. Hormones equals backsliding. Simple as that. It doesn't mean that you're out fornicating every single night or any of that kind of stuff. What it means is your hormones kick in, and that's a very powerful behavioral um, modification, chemical change in the body of a human being. Now, I don't care if it's a you know in a human in a human being, it is a powerful chemical change. Uh, you know everything changes. You know. So um, anyway, um, naturally, one thing leads to another, and you know, you're going to well, these Pentecostal churches, you're going to these Assembly of God churches, and you're not hearing them tell you anything about hell. You're not hearing them tell you. All they're telling you is once saved, always saved, 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 once saved, always saved. And then your hormones kick in, and what are you going to do? Exactly. And then that echoes, that once saved, always saved dynamic echoes in your head. You go to your family Christmas party, you got your sisters that are 20 years older, and they're talking about, because here's the thing, you can't change the mind of a once saved, always saved person. You know why? Because if you, if they start to realize that once saved, always saved is not necessarily true. In other words, a person can jump out of, the, you know, Chuck Misler, not picking on him, God bless him, I love him, 
But I'm just saying, he would do. He he had a teaching called. Uh, Oh, gosh, what did he call it? Uh, eternal security or something like that. And he would use the scripture where it says that we are in Jesus's hands and then we are also in the father's hands and nobody can snatch you out of their hands. And he would use that as his um, closing argument in the court of law. Jury dismissed. Once saved, always saved. But he never took into consideration the fact that you could you could willfully jump out of the hands of the Father. You can willfully jump out of the hands of Jesus. You can willfully make bad, bad choices. And you can stick with them. So anyway, um, <clears throat> that's where critical thinking comes in, because you've got to think of every single angle. Now, um, but when you're talking to somebody who is their whole life raised and firmly, firmly believes in one saved, always saved. I mean, they're unshakable, unshakable. One of the things, one of the reasons why you cannot shake their belief in that is because they will reflect upon all of the people that they brought to their church. They will reflect on their entire life. They will reflect on their daughters and their sons. And they will know that their daughters and sons are absolutely, they're barely recognizable as the most baby of Christians ever. Okay, they're, it's just like I said. And and in their mind, if they were to accept once that there was no such thing as once saved, always saved, then they would have to come to the conclusion that a large percentage of the people that they brought to their church and got them to go. See, a lot of these once saved, always saved people, what they believe is if they can get you to come to their church and they can get you to respond to an altar call, in their mind it's ding, 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 and then they have, they have saved another soul. Hallelujah! doesn't matter what the person goes back to. Doesn't matter that the person isn't taught about hell. Doesn't matter that the person is talking about and none of that. None of that. It doesn't even matter. As long as they walked up to the front of the church and the pastor laid their hands on them, bada bing, bada boom, and all that kind of stuff. It's like ding, 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 ding. They put a big tally mark in the W column, the win column. And then they reflect back on their lives and they think of their sons and their daughters and how they got them to come to church and go up and had the pastor lay his hands on it. And they're like, ding, ding, ding. And they're saved and they're saved. And this person's saved and that person's saved. And, my, and, and then it, you try to tell them, well, it's not once saved, always saved. And you will see their eyes catch on fire. Um, that's a metaphor. But... Um, because they will – what you are doing is you are ripping their entire life in Christ out of their hands. They believe that they saved an untold number of souls and their family souls because that one day, or maybe it was a couple of times throughout the year, Easter and Christmas, et cetera, they're, you know, the, the one day uh, it was Easter and they went up and the pastor laid their hands on them and they responded to the altar call and they're saved. And then Christmas comes around and um, they go up to the altar call and they rededicate their lives to Jesus. And then the next year they rededicate their lives to Jesus. See where I'm going with this? So anyway, um, and don't get me wrong. 
I'm not saying that there's anything. I think it's a glorious hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for anybody who rededicates their life to Jesus. That is wonderful. Because if it wasn't possible, homie would be buying a fire suit right now. Now, the Lord brought me around through extreme measures. He extreme bad traumatic things happened to me a very long time ago, give or take approximately 2007, I think it was. And it was, it was real bad. I'm talking about lives at stake, people in, you know, in intensive care units, ICUs, you know, that kind of stuff, really bad stuff. But sometimes the Lord's going to swing a big hammer. And let me tell you, that hammer was so big, there was no way I was looking back, even to the detriment of my marriage. And now my ex-wife, to this day, who I met at the age of 14 in Pennsylvania at Hershey Park, she had a little pin on. She was just 14, but I was just a little kid, too. I was, you know, I don't know what age I was, uh, 17 or something, but whatever. And um, she had a little pin on with a Hershey kiss on it and said, if you can't resist me, kiss me. And I walked up to her in the line and I said, I'd like to take you up on your pin. Well, anyway, we we ended up going, um, you know, we were were boyfriend and girlfriend for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And then, you know, the Navy came along and we split up and all that kind of stuff. But then I ended up in Tampa and we were – then we – Stayed together for a long time and then broke up again. You know, that get, get together, break up, get together, break up, get together, break up, get together, break up, that kind of thing. And then finally, I ended up marrying her uh, back in the beginning of the 2000s. Um, and, uh, you know, and it was my pursuit of the Lord that drove her away. It was my pursuit of Jesus that drove her away. I'm not going to get into the details of the testimony, but I'll just leave it at that. And now she's awake. Now she's sending me stuff from her little TikTok account about creepy things that are happening around the world and children being burned in Maui and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, I wish I had never woken up. Somebody jammed a red pill of relatively high milligrams down her throat, and she doesn't like it. But it's good because I will send her little things in the morning time sometimes. It's that, hey, I'm praying for you. Praise God. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And she will actually respond back. Sometimes I'll ask her for prayer and she'll say, yep, I will pray for you. And that, for her, who comes from a really dead Roman Catholic background, is an astonishing thing to hear. Praise the Lord. All right. So if it wasn't for all the creepy black stuff that's happening out there, it she wouldn't have come around. But anyway, um, so now let's go back to watch ye therefore. So there's these t- teachers and preachers, et cetera, et cetera, who sell their DVDs and or whatever the case, and that's okay. They, they can do whatever they want to do. They got to cover their costs, and they probably want to, you know, put a new parking lot or a new roof on their church. But but the thing is, is they will teach you that you study the moon and the moon rising and the blowing of the shofar, da 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 da, all that kind of stuff, and you can figure out, you can outwit the Lord. And you can figure out exactly when Jesus is going to come for the bride. And the Chuck Misler story about, you know, the father and the son, who is the bridegroom, building on the extension of the house. And then when the father makes the choice, he decides, I, I, you know, that it's time. 
Now, what criteria he uses to, or rationale that he uses to determine that the time is now, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we do know that the Father makes the final decision. The time is now. Go! All right? I know it's a little bit hard to digest sometimes when you see John 10.30, I and the Father are one, and First, uh, first Timothy 3.16 where it says that God came in the flesh, uh, you know, seen, you know, believed, you know, preached to the Gentiles, you know, seen by the angels, you know, taken up into heaven, all that kind of stuff. You know, you, you, when you realize that Jesus, I and the Father are one, it, it, it makes it kind of difficult to discern your way intellectually to this point where Jesus still wouldn't know what the Father, when the Father's going to say go. But evidently he doesn't, he doesn't know. Now, um, uh, so I guess you can be begotten of our Father God and one and the same uh, as part of the Godhead Spirit and the Holy Spirit and all that and still be sufficiently separate that the Father has information that Jesus doesn't have. That's the only thing, that, that is the only conclusion that you can come to. Now, why is this relevant to the watch ye therefore thing? Because every one of these scriptures say, so, no, I don't want to say every one of them, but a lot of them basically say something along the line of, for example, Matthew twenty-five thirteen. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day, yea, the day, nor the hour. Every single one of these scriptures that are talking about watching for the thief, watching for Jesus coming, watching for the master returning, every one of them, if it has any information in it whatsoever about timing, it always says day or hour. Now, why don't I bring that up? Because it's very significant. Because that takes us back to where we were a couple of prayer vigils before this one, whereby, um, you know, I had been, you know, this. I guess the Holy Spirit pointed me to the fact that in Luke twenty-one thirty-six, where we're supposed to pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things. By the way, I take that literally. A lot of people are like, oh, man, we're going to have to go through the CBDCs, the social credit system. All this horrible stuff is going to happen to us. Oh, no, this is going to be terrible. I can't deal with that. I, I, you know, I do trust that God's going to take care of me no matter what happens. But, oh, that is just something. You know, when I look at my Bible and it says, watch ye therefore and pray always. Now, always to me means like every day. That you may be counted worthy. That's huge. Because our Father... Our Lord Jesus has to count us worthy because we're not going to be worthy because of anything that we did. No way. There's no amount of dancing in a Pentecostal church with a flag in your hand that is going to make you worthy. So you're praying always to be counted worthy. To escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth. Well, the word all is there. So we take a look at Luke twenty-one thirty-six. Um, watch there wherefore and pray always. Okay, so we're constantly praying to be found to be counted worthy. All right, and if I come over here and look at the Greek, which I will for a moment, just for fun. Okay, here it comes. 
Watch ye, which is, youch, that's a hard word to try to pronounce, a group in eight. <laughs> Watch ye, therefore, which is simply day, um, always on Panticaru. Okay? And that's a 9999, so that was injected by the interpreters. So that word and is not there in the text. 9999 simply means the word is not there. By the way, there's a lot of 9999s in Daniel 927. You know, the one that all the pre-trib rapture people point at as being the pivotal moment that we, that, you know, you know, and he will make a covenant with many, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, they're still sitting around debating with one another who's going to make a covenant with many. And I'm like, wait a minute. Use some, use some common sense. Use some um, critical thinking skills. Lock on to the things that you know are true. It's called a KGM, a known good module. It's used for troubleshooting extremely complicated stuff. You know, but anyway, lock on to what you know is what you know for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. And if you lock on, if you identify all the things that you know as a fact, and you know that you're right, you know that your interpretation of who, what that's talking about is correct, then what happens is it's kind of like you have a 3,000-piece puzzle. I don't know if any of you all have done one of those things before, but I've, I've sat beside people that were doing them on a card table. My mom used to do them. The trick of completing a 3,000-piece puzzle is to lock on to the things that you know are fact. So you hunt for pieces in the puzzle in the 3,000 pieces that are scattered across your card table, and you look for things that you know go together. Hey, there's a balloon, and the balloon is pink. So you look for all the little pieces of the puzzle that have a little bit of pink in them. And you grab them together and you look at them and you kind of shuffle them around and everything and you, you build yourself a little pink balloon. And there's a chunk of known good stuff. You know that that balloon is pink. You got the balloon created and you put it on the table. And now you have a basis to build the rest of the 3,000 pieces out. Suddenly you get to a point where you have enough things that you know are right on the money, absolutely correct, fit together like a puzzle piece, because they are puzzle pieces, and you look at this, this mosaic of a complex, of some type of co complex artwork, who knows, maybe some waterfall in South America or whatever, but uh, you look at it and you go, oh, well, I knew all these things were right, and they all fit together like perfectly, so I know they're right. And that's how you finish the 3,000-piece puzzle. You finish the 3,000-piece puzzle because you put together the things that you knew were right. What that means is now you only have these little holes, a little hole here, a little hole there, a little hole there, a little hole there. And now you can look at the rest of your puzzle pieces and you can go, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure. You look at the box lid and you say, yep, yep, oh, look at that. There's a little... Bummer lamb there. So you hunt for all the pieces that have a little bum, bummer lamb, or ha, you know, ha, you know. Oh, and it's a green field with purple flowers, and you put them, and then you start filling those in and filling those in. I have people ask me a lot. They'll say they'll pick a pick, particular piece of the Bible, some little 
teeny weeny thing, two little phrases or whatever, and they'll want to just chatter, 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 chatter about them. Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I, sometimes I'll just say, I, it, doesn't matter, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't care about that. And it's like they'll be totally blown away and taken aback. Um, I'm focused. I, I mean, if this is naughty or you know bad of me or a shame on me thing, I'm sorry. But there are certain things that I just that, that important to me. Why would the new millennium be important to somebody who might not make it to heaven at all anyway? Wouldn't you want to shift your priorities to things in the Bible that will help you make it to heaven so that at least you have some eligibility? That's how I look at the Scripture. I look at the stuff. I I don't want to get into the weeds. The weeds doesn't reveal everything. Everybody seems to think that the deeper that you dive into the Greek and the Hebrew, that some magical new revelation is going to just spring forth like a tulip uh, out of the uh, snow. And they'll latch on to something, and they'll just gobble it up like it's the best turkey dinner they ever had. And, and, and they get lost in it. They get lost in it. It's like, like, hey, this looks like some kind of a rainforest, but I really don't know where I am. I must be in Brazil. But then eventually they figure out, no, they were in Panama. Yeah, I didn't know until what short, shortly ago that Panama actually does have sections of rainforest. But anyway, um, so again it says, pray that ye, ye may be accounted worthy. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that Greek word. I could I could click on it and it would give me this little tool to help me pronounce it, but I don't care. Um, and then uh, to escape, those words are there, these things... And then it has the word all, which is panta, P-A-N-T-A, Strong's uh, N-T, New Testament, 3956. That that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So the word all is there. It's not a 9999. So let's take a look at the word all. It is pas, it's how it's pronounced, P-A-S, it's Strong's NT3956, and it says including all forms of declension. I don't know what the word declension means. Let's find out. If you're going to study the Bible, do it right. If you don't know what the word declension is and you're studying the Strong's, and it has the word D-E-C-L-E-N-S-I-O-N, declension, and you don't know what that means, you need a dictionary, and that's how I study the Bible. All right, so I'm going to say define declension. Enter. It says, oh, okay, so it says, um, it says a condition of decline or moral deterioration, uh, deterioration. Wow. Including all forms. Let's let's go ahead and take the word declension and let's do uh, definition, dictionary definition substitution and make it make it understandable to ourselves. OK. Strong's NT 3956. This is the word all. 
pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Wear it! The wedding supper. That's a fact. That's definitely what it means. All right, so let's do the word substitution. The word is, or the, the phrase definition is, a condition of decline or, or moral deterioration. All right, now let's substitute that in for the word declension, including all forms of conditions of decline or moral deterioration. What do we see happening around us right now? More than anything, moral deterioration. Why does the president of Uganda say, United States, get away from me? Get away from me. You are not going to convince, you're not going to twist my arm and force me with money to accept homosexuality and LGBT, LMNOP stuff. You sick country. And by the way, it's, there's a lot of European countries that are saying exactly the same thing. So including all forms of decline and moral deterioration. Wow. Apparently a primary word, all, any, every, or whole. And then, the key, then they always have the KG, KJV section of the Strongs where it says all manner or of means, always, all, one, daily, every, every, one, as many as, thoroughly, whatsoever, whole, or whosoever. That, that to me is just a hodgepodge of blah. Doesn't really mean much to me. There's too many conflicting words in there, and it's like, whatever. So I just ignore it. I pluck it out, just like I'm doing a 3,000-piece puzzle. If I don't find a piece, it's going to help me you know, do that little section of the 3,000-piece puzzle to finish up where the little bummer land is standing. Then I don't want, I don't want the piece. I'm just going to toss the piece over into the pile. I'm just looking for the bummer lamb section. Well, guess what? It says everything that we need to know right here, Strong's NT 3956, including all forms of decline and moral deterioration. Wow. <laughs> Talk about hitting the nail on the head. Praise God. All right. So, um, so why does it say the day or the hour? See, here's the interesting part about that. I'm going to tie, tie a ribbon on this, and then we'll move on. Thank you, Jesus. But... When Why does it say the day or the hour? You won't know the day or the hour. You don't know the day or the hour that the Lord is coming. You don't know the day or the hour that the thief might break into your house. You're going to need to watch. You don't know the day or the hour. Oh, no, 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 no. You won't know the, let's think really hard here for just a second, day or nor the hour. So let's look at Matthew 25:13. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Right? So we'll just have some fun and jump over to the Greek again, just for grins and giggles. Not that we need to, because we don't really. But it says, watch, therefore, both those words are there, for, that word's there, hoti, so it's there, neither, which is the Greek word ouk, which is 3756, ye know, which is old date, which is 1492, the... 10 uh, is the pronunciation, a uh, day, which is Hemerian, uh, which is 2250, nor the hour, yada, yada, wherein, wherein the Son 
of man cometh. Now then, I'm going to let you know something. It's a little shocking, actually. I didn't know this. Did you know that in that scripture, Matthew 25, 13, where it says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Did you know that those are the only words that are actually there? Mm-hmm. The rest is made up by the interpreters. See, people, see, people say the doggondest things. They say, oh, the, the, the word of God is inerrant, and there's no, you know, and all this. And, and then somebody will come along and say, well, you can't translate the Greek. You can translate, transliterate the Greek, but then you've got errors in the transliteration because of the opinion of the transliterator. Or, and then you, you, can't, you can't translate the Hebrew into English because it is just not simply, an, it's not a one-for-one match. And there's all kinds of nuances and the jot and the tittle and the order of the words and, you know, all this other stuff. Then you have these people that come out, the word of God is inerrant, as long as you're using the King James, you see. <laughs> okay? It's just, oh, it's just giggle. If, if you want to giggle, listen to people argue about translations of the Bible. It, I mean, my goodness, it'll just make you laugh so hard your stomach will hurt. But what I've just discovered here live on the air is in Matthew twenty-five thirteen. The only words that are there are, watch therefore, for neither ye know the day nor the hour. That is it. Nothing else is in the text. The words, wherein the Son of Man cometh, do not exist in the Greek at all. It is Strong's 9999 there are a lot of 9999s. A lot of them. Especially around Daniel 927. But anyway, praise God. Um, why do I bring this up and why is it important? Because watch ye therefore. Is it Jesus is not, he's not asking. I got this article that was, uh, I did some searching around, you know, trying to do a little bit more digging on, you know, the pitch black Mountain Dew stuff and all this creepy, weird, lesser magic nonsense. And and, uh, it was written by some Christians and they meant well, they meant well, they did, they really did. And they they did their best. And they said that the, um, that the elites, that these, you know, they, I guess they just referred to them as the elites. Um, here, I actually still have a link to it. Um, oh, okay. So this is from Pastor Lindsey Williams. I do not know where he is anymore. He may have passed on and gone to heaven at this point. He was pretty old when he was around talking about the Alaska thing and everything he went through. But anyway, he says, one of the first things I learned about the elites is that they have a code of ethics. <laughs> okay. Now, one of them do, not because I don't like Lindsey Williams. I love him as a brother in Christ, but I am going to delete this link. I'll tell you why. Because I read the whole thing thinking that I was going to turn over a leaf and discover something new. And then I realized the authors of the article had no idea that they were shape-shifting reptilians. And I thought, that's not okay. Because at that, because they're really only on the 500 milligram red pills at that point, maybe 300 milligram. 
If you aren't to the point where you understand that the tears are shape-shifting fallen seraphim, which, by the way, more and more people are catching on to, and I have an audio bite that I'm going to play on Sunday night's show that talks about that. But anyway, it, it's astonishing. To me, you're still at the 500 milligram level, maybe the 400 milligram. You need to be at the 1,000 milligram. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle real, real hard with being gentle as a dove with an AK-47 in my hand or in a, some kind of an assault weapon and a room full of you know, stuff to kill people with. The gentle as a dove piece, we're, the entire American evangelical church has completely forgotten the words gentle as a dove. They've, they've redacted it. They've gotten themselves a big, fat, black Sharpie marker, and they said, oh, gentle as a dove. Oh, forget that noise. I got the Second Amendment. I can kill whoever I want. Uh, and they take that marker, and they just black out gentle as a dove. And they go in, and they, I, what is it, Romans, or is it, yeah, I think it's Romans. Um, or, yeah, and, and they black out that part. Your sheep led to the slaughter. No, no, I don't like that. I'm going to get that out of there. Where's my marker? <laughs> And you look at their Bibles, and it's just redacted, redacted. It looks like uh, National Security Directive number 51 under George Shapeshifting Bush. But people do that. I, I, it, it astonishes me, and I know – like I, I don't want to pick on my family so much, but I have a member of my family who I love very dearly, and I miss her, and I like to talk to her. She's woken up a lot. She's – 500 miles, or even five, you could say 500 exits, further ahead in her understanding of things than she was five years ago. So I tip my hat to her and commend her. Way to go. But she'll sit there and she'll read her Bible all weekend long. Uh, she'll go out and dork around in her garden a little bit and water some things and you know play with the dog, go for a walk. But she'll come back and she'll eventually sit down on her chair, her favorite chair, and she'll read the Bible. And I, I remember last, the last Christmas I was up there, I told her, I said, well, you know that uh, unforgiveness is, is the, uh, it's an unfor, it's, it, you know, unforgiveness is, is a sin of death. If you haven't forgive, forgiven any, everybody that's done you wrong, you're going to hell. Oh, my gosh. The fire that shot out, this time it wasn't just her eyes. It was her eyes, her ears, her mouth, her hair caught on fire. It was absolutely a spectacle for the 4th of July. It was amazing. And she grabbed her Bible and she opened it up and I showed her the scripture. I pointed, she said, show me in the Bible. She, I mean, she's downright pissed. And um, I pointed gently to the scripture, hoping that a cleaver wouldn't come out and cut come up three of my fingers off. And she puts on her reading glasses, and she squints her eyes and puts it really close to the text. And she goes, I need to understand the context. <laughs> I'm like, at this point, I'm like, okay, um, putting my head in my hands, thinking, okay, where's my jacket? Where's my rental car? Homie needs to go for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe to Hershey or something to get some Stromboli. Um, if I make it up there this year, I'm going to make sure I pig out on Stromboli on a level that has never been seen before. I am going, yeah, 
mm, Stromboli. I'm going to go to every Stromboli joint in central Pennsylvania I can get my hands on. But anyway, um, and I'll probably be walking around <laughs> with a bottle of Phillips milk of magnesia in my hand everywhere I go. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So back to the day or the hour. Jesus told us that we would know the season. That's why the parable of the fig tree is there. And right after the parable of the fig tree comes Luke 21, 36. Pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. That's why he has the parable of the fig tree. He's just simply telling you, man, wake up. Take a look around you. Stop going into a state of denial. When your husband or your wife has something exciting to tell you about, because there's two different mindsets. Mindset number one, I know about all that evil stuff, but I can't handle it. So I run away. And I watch Hallmark LGBT LMNOP Christmas specials. Because I can't handle it. I got to disconnect from it. That's the one path. And then the other path is you look at all the horrible things that are happening and you're like getting excited. See, to me, that's my place. So if I were to sit in my family's Christmas, you know, here we are in August. So, you know, even InfoWars is selling stuff with Christmas stuff on it, trying to get people to buy early Christmas presents. Amazing. But anyway, um, so I guess August now, the eighth month now delineates the point where everybody starts to think about the holidays, right? Uh, but anyway, the day or the hour, but we know the season. We know that the buds on the fig tree are turning green. We can see it. It's all around us. And I'm not the A group. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I get a little bit fed up. Sometimes I've heard, I've read too many articles about these filthy entities burning children to death. And I can't take it. I hate it. And I do hate it. There's a level of detail that I would prefer. You know, the the Bible says, and I don't have the scripture handy, but I'll paraphrase it. Um, I used to have it in the banner at the top of the website, but I don't anymore. But it basically says... um, Something along, you know, have no have no fellowship with the darkness, but re, but um, but wrap them out, you know, uh, reveal what they do. But then it goes on; it conf- confusingly continues and says that you don't want to talk about it too much. You don't want to go into too much detail because we shouldn't even talk about such things. So on one hand, you're told to rat out, you know, reveal the evil of, you know, the the works of the darkness. That's part of our job. But then we're not really supposed to get too much into it because we're not even supposed to think about such things. So that, so evidently there's a line somewhere there where we're not really, you know. So for me, for example, it's one thing to hear about Gavin Satanic, demonic, reptilian, Newsom making a law that says that it's okay to cut off body parts of small children without the permission of their parents. But I don't want to see photographs of that. And I don't want to talk about the photographs of that. 
I don't want the details. I don't need the gory details. I don't need to see somebody with blood smeared all over their face and all that other creepy stuff. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Some things you can't unhear. Some things you can't un... You know, it's one thing to know that it's going on. You know, when I was scrolling through my finely tuned Twitter feed not too long ago, I had one of those moments. Happens now and then. I hate it when it does. Where they were showing children that were being sent, you know, shipped, shipped, like packaged meat. Frozen children stacked up inside of containers. Yeah. Of course, you know, it's one thing to read it in an article. And, you know, hey, they're shipping children like, you know, hamburger. It's another thing to see it. That's something that you can't unsee. I forget what they're saying now, some of the new news that's coming out about the uh, Pizzagate deal and all that creepy, weird, Hillary, nine-foot-tall Draco reptilian stuff, that um, that the group of New York NYPD police officers that were involved in the investigation, I think the one article that I read about that where it actually had their photographs said that half of them committed suicide after seeing that video. It was like six of them, something like that, committed suicide. But anyway, back to the – so we're watching for the thief. We're sitting on the stairs. we got our binoculars. We're looking out the window. We're looking for Jesus to come. And it – by the way, there isn't one of those verses, not one, that was asking it in the form of a question or saying that maybe you ought to watch. In fact, the one, if you'll remember – had that vivid exclamation point at the end. That was Mark 13, 37. All right? And he says, and I, Jesus says, and I say to you all, colon, watch! But, no, but of that day or hour, no one knows. That's Mark 13, 32. But of that day or hour, why does it always say day or hour, 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 day or hour? So you don't know the day, contrary to the ones who want to sell you their DVD sets. You don't know the day, no matter how much you think you do, you don't, and you don't know the hour. And by the way, there are actually those out there that believe that they've been able to figure out, I guess, the hour as well. No. You don't know. No one knows. It says right here, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. And just in case you forgot, that's Jesus. But only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray. So, by the way, this isn't an ask. This is a command. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each of his, you know, uh, to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch 
Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So I'm not in the A group as much as I'm on the B group. I need to reconnect. If I watch it, if I watch, <laughs> interesting uh, word to use, but if I, if I decide on a, on a given day or something that I'm going to watch some sci-fi movie or whatever the case to pass the time away or I don't really feel like, you know, whatever, just something. So, uh, you know, and there, there's clean movies out there. You can find them. You've got to be careful, but, you know. But anyway, um, but eventually I start to feel disconnected. I don't know if you do or not, but I do. So if I'm, you know, like a, there's a clean, um, let me think it's true before I say it's clean. Yeah, it's clean. There's a, a series on uh, Netflix called Suits. It's about lawyers and law firms and things like that. But it's not abominable. It's not filthy. There aren't like sex scenes all over it and all that kind of creepy stuff. Um and um, it's interesting. It's really, really, really fascinating. Um, but it's clean. That's the cool. That's the thing that's the most important part to me. It's very clean, and I'm not going to get surprised. There isn't going to be some giant orgy that just pops up in front of my face while I'm trying to watch one of the episodes. I like that. All right, praise the Lord. Okay, and the other thing is I, I've gotten to the point in my sanctification walk where I just don't really like to watch things that are too gory. Now, I can handle a few bad words here and there, but my tolerance for that is even diminishing in a noteworthy manner. But anyway, I get to a point where I feel disconnected watching anymore. And then when I reconnect... I go through this strange transition of, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know what to call it. I really just don't even, I don't have words. Because I became so disconnected by watching whatever it was I was watching, that when I reconnect, my emotional energies, it's like... It's Oh, I know how to compare. I, I got an analogy for you for it. Have you ever had – I don't have a lot of dreams because I don't sleep well at all. I sleep very badly, very badly. I'm clinically a bad sleeper. If I get three and a half hours of sleep a night, I'm doing real good. And I have – my doctor gave me Lunesta, but then I found out it was so addictive and I don't want nothing to do with that noise. And I just – won't do nothing with it. I don't touch it. And once in a, maybe every three months, I might have a relatively good night and I want to try to get some seriously good sleep and I might take one, but that's about, that's the extent of it. My point is this, that emotional transition from being, you know, you want to disconnect. You want to forget about the burning children. You want to forget about the Mountain Dew. You want to forget about, you know, the Maui burst. You want to forget about uh, the CBDCs. You want to forget about the fact that they're going to make us go back under lock, lockdowns and masks in the next two weeks. You want to, is it two weeks? No, it's more like four weeks. But you want to forget about that stuff. 
you know, I'm supposed to be driving to Pennsylvania with my daughter this year to go up and see the family. Uh, and, um, you know, that's a 17, 17 hours one way in a car with your daughter. Now, granted, she's 32 or 30, well, 33 years old and everything like that, but that's still a long time to be in a, you know, alone in a car with anybody. Now, it's actually better to have a bunch of people in the car, you know, a whole family with kids and everything, because there's a lot of distractions. Toss in a puppy and a kitty, and it's even better, because there's lots of distractions. It's like, oh, no, is that kitty going to the litter box again? You know, and that kind of thing. But anyway, that's kind of good. But when it's just two people alone in the dark for 17 hours straight, Wow. So I don't know. I'm I'm really going through a mental reckoning on that. But then, can you imagine lockdowns, masks, and and I guess when you're driving, the lockdowns and the masks don't really have an effect on you, unless they get more sinister with the lockdowns. What if they put up traffic stops along I-75 or 81 or 95? Traffic stops, checkpoints, with where they take one of their little PCR satanic tests that have graphene oxide and other seriously sick seeding poisons, and they jam it up your nose and say, come with me. None of us know where this is heading. All I know is that my Bible, I don't know about yours, but my Bible says all these things. So I am holding on for dear life, in the name of Jesus, praise his name, that it's going to be all these things. Yes, there's going to be some inconveniences. Yes, and praise the Lord when you become, when you go through that emotional swing and you reconnect, and especially when you go through the emotional swing and you reconnect and suddenly you get to that happy space where when things are getting really bad, like when I got the news that they were going to go back on a you know, COVID BA.6 variant lockdown with masks and everything in the middle of September, I didn't take it that bad. I thought I was. I mean, I really, when I started to listen to it and I started to see the articles, and I'd seen the war- the early warning articles coming from the Daily Mail, which is, it's like the, uh, you know, shofar of Satan, the Daily Mail. Um, they're all under control of the darkest of dark evil that's out there. Doesn't get any darker than that. But they're, they, they're the... Uh, they're the uh, early beacon warning system of what's coming a lot of times, almost all the time, actually. And um, I, I read the articles a while back, and I said, oh, yeah, new variant, big deal. And then I was thinking to myself, well, I live in Florida, so I don't have to worry about it because we, we got DeSantis as, as the uh, governor, which, by the way, I would not want him to be the president. He is. He, I like the guy, and I like that he put constitutional amendments in Florida to ban CBDCs and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and he's, you know, at war with anything that's woke and he's fighting Disney because they're homosexuality stuff. But you know what? He is so clueless. (laughs) I'm sorry. God bless him. But boy, is he clueless. A lot of his donors are, are shape-shifting reptilians and they're controlling him. He he literally said on an interview at one point, oh, I have to check with my donors. They're telling me something. And I'm thinking, is that 
who you want as your president? Do you want somebody who tells you that the Ukraine war is a good thing to be your president? That's what DeSantis thinks. He thinks the Ukraine war is a good thing. We need to fight those evil Russians, he thinks. I'm like, did somebody lobotomize you, man? What happened to you? Are you a clone? I wonder if he is. We don't know the day nor the hour. We know the season. Thank you, Parable of the Fig Tree. We know by looking around us, because we're watching ye therefore, so we see all the things that are happening around us, and we know that Jesus is coming anytime for us. We have some markers in the scripture that we cannot say are 100% guaranteed, especially because what makes it confusing is the scrolls in the book of Revelation chapter 6 are rolling out in parallel. Just like I hypothesized several years ago, I, I, I don't know what made, came over me, but I said, you know what? It occurred to me that Jesus could come and snap the seals, because only the Lamb of God can break the seals, snap those seals and do it to all the scrolls at the same time. Because the content of the scroll is what we're dealing with. Those are the events that are happening across the world right now. It's what's in the scrolls. So breaking the seal only allows the scroll to start to roll out. I've said this a gazillion times. And so when you realize that, they, that Jesus can go snap, 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 you know, and all right down the line, you've got to imagine a big old table where they can roll out together in parallel. And that's what we're seeing happening right now. That's what we're seeing happening right now. The scrolls are rolling out in parallel. Look. Do you think that that really, really horrible earthquake that killed so many gazillions of people uh, on the border of Syria and Turkey might have been caused by one of the alien technology weapons that the United States of Babylon has um, implemented, we'll say, built? One of the locations, as we know from the testimony of that one particular individual, is very vociferous about it and doing a travel around the world circuit on it and telling people a lot more. If you go to his website, it's just absolutely gushing with all kinds of intel that talks about alien beings and other world, you know, you know, an intergalactic spacecraft and how they're able to communicate with the spaceships and stuff like that using the um, the neutrino. Uh, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, neutrino-based neutrino lasers. And he believes that they have an atomic uh, power source buried under the ice to make it all work. But he wasn't able to prove that. He never saw it. But anyway, that's beside the point. What if they use that thing? Everybody's going harp, 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 harp. But if you look at the technology that's behind the, the harp system that's up in Alaska that everybody points to that was on, you know, um, American conspiracy with, you know, Jesse Ventura. That that is some seriously old technology. I mean, that is some seriously old technology. It used to be for these entities to use mind control frequencies which tend to be at the two hertz level and the four hertz level level. And if you don't understand what a hertz is, a megahertz, uh, kilohertz, uh, one hertz, 
If you don't understand waveforms, then you don't, you're not going to get it no matter what. You can try as hard as you can until your brain bleeds, but you will never understand it. Two hertz and four hertz is unbelievably low. These are what's known as ULS, ultra-low frequencies. And until recently, when I say recently, it could be 30, 40 years ago, they have never, the entities that these reptilians that have been building these weapons against us to use them, they don't, they, they had no way to, um, they had to put like Gwen Towers down, which are gigantic antennas that, that are, all, you know, they're just like 20, 30 miles across these Gwen, Gwen wires, okay, and ground wave uh, energy, um, Gwen, um, I don't know what the N stands for, but they had to have these like 20 mile in diameter ring antennas, Gwen Towers, underground in order to generate the 2 hertz and the 4 hertz signals because it takes fantastically huge antennas to be able to generate that low of a frequency. But that's the frequencies that they need to generate in order to cause extreme anxiety and all that kind of stuff and control human behavior. They don't need that anymore. They figured out how to do that using extremely advanced alien technologies inside of very small boxes about the size of a bread box or a microwave oven, and they can put them on the top of a pole, a telescoping pole, and and the base is wheels, and they can wheel it around. So uh, when you go back to J6 and you take a look at the footage and everything and you look very carefully, not only do you see facial recognition systems all over the place, but you see these strange boxes, these microwave – just, just big nebulous boxes sitting on the top of a, a telescoping pole very high. Those are mind control towers. So in over time, the otherworldly beings, the fallen angelic beings, just like in the Book of Enoch, have shared additional technologies to help the entities of filth on the earth create much more miniaturized versions, much more portable versions of these implements that can control people. Supposedly, they used Chinook. Those are the double, double helicopter. You know, they have two helicopter blades on them. The Chinooks. They were using the Chinooks with special technologies and very super high-powered loudspeakers in the Operation Desert Storm to cause the uh, um, Saddam Hussein's Revolutionary Guard, which were supposed to be some of the best-trained soldiers on the earth. Lean, mean fighting machines, these people. And they were bur- they were dug in deep. They knew that the, Ameri- that the U.S. Uh, of Babylon, the great forces, were building up uh, all around them. They knew that the attack was coming in. They knew that Kuwait was a setup. They knew that it was, it was all – so they, what are you going to do? You're going to dig in. You're going to dig in bunkers. The bunkers are going to be dug on deep, just like they did in Vietnam. And what they did was they flew these Chinooks over the bunkers of the, uh, you know, Re- Revolutionary Guard of uh, Hussein, and um, they hammered them with like four hertz uh, high anxiety radio waves. 
And they freaked out, dropped their guns, and went up and surrendered, raising their hands into the air. And all the all that had to happen was the quote allied forces, which they're never allied. It's the United States of Babylon the Great forces other countries to put their troops into the war, and then they call it an allied team. And all they had to do is go in and mop up the people because they're all holding up waving flags. White flags, praise God. So, but anyway, um, and I, and and I, 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 but anyway, to circle back, it's it's all about watching the day of the hour to be connected to. If you want to disconnect, take a little bit of time, hang out with the family, not talk about those things. Don't scare your daughter half to death. Like I'm not going to going to tomorrow. Whatever the case is, there's nothing wrong with that. But you need to get them binoculars, and you need to start watching again. Now, you understand what I'm saying? Because. Um, uh, because look what it says right here. I'm going to read this, this uh, passage again one more time. But of the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the an- angels in heaven, nor Jesus, but only our Father God. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave him the to his servants and to each, of, uh, to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master is coming in the evening, in the midnight, in the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Verse 36. Lest coming suddenly he finds you, underscore this word, capitalize it, bold it, 40 point, flashing point, make, it says, finds you sleeping. Finds you sleeping. What does that mean? Let's take a look. Okay. Less coming suddenly, you will find you sleeping. There it is. Let's take a look at the word sleeping. Greek, NT, 2518. Cathudo. No, cathudo. There you go, cathudo. It's a derivative from Strong's NT, 2596. And hudo, which means to sleep or to lie down and rest. By implication, to fall asleep literally or figuratively, to sleep. So that that in, 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 in you know didn't really reveal all that much to us. I mean, if you really wanted to deep dive on this, you could um, hold on just a second. It's not responding. Too bad. That one did. Okay, Strong's NT twenty five ninety six. This one's Kata. Okay. I'm just reading through it real fast to see if there's anything really meaningful. And no, there isn't. This is just one of those translation, translational words uh, from 2596 that, that really just, it's so wordy and so full of baloney about according to as, after, against, when they were, alone, amongst, and apart, even like, as concerning, pertaining to, touching, aside, at, before, beyond, beyond. What does that mean? When I see stuff like that, I just, that's when I pull out my Sharpie marker. Because I'm focusing in on the part of the puzzle that has the bummer lamb in it. Because remember, if you read your Bible and you build that 3,000-piece puzzle with the things that you know that you know that you know that you know are right, you're only going to have a couple of blank areas. And finishing the 3,000-piece puzzle is relatively easy. Now, you might have a margin of error. You might have a margin of error. That's true. 
But the margin of error gets smaller the more of the empty spots that you fill with puzzle pieces. But eventually, you will have enough of that 3,000-piece puzzle put together. It's kind of like a map, a treasure map, telling you how to get to heaven and all the cool things that we're going to experience and all the warning signs that we might see on our, you know, as we're going through that quest to make it to the rapture and, you know, and to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and all that. It, it, it's like a big map. It's like a treasure map. And the treasure is being at the wedding supper with Jesus. The problem is that treasure map is old and crinkly and it's, you know, like parchment paper and some of the ink on it smeared. You just can't read it all exactly. So there's always these little pieces of it. But as long as you can look at that treasure map and see what you need to know to make it to that wedding supper... You're gold. Think of it like this. Okay, for example, when I was in the United States Navy, I worked in Fox Division, and I had a couple of, you know, handful of guys. There was actually four to six of them that were trained in what's called Sea School on what was called the Sea Whiz, close weapon something system. It's the R2-D2 looking things that they put on one on each side, port and starboard of the ships. And they shoot 7-millimeter depleted uranium shells at 3,000 rounds, I think, per, is it per minute? 60 seconds in a minute, 3,000 divided by, yeah. I think it's 3,000 rounds a minute. Um, and when they shoot, and they would practice with them and stuff as long as they could keep them operational because they were very, very clunky and very, very hard to keep operational. They broke a lot, which, of course, isn't very, you know, you know, it's not very, it doesn't, you don't sleep well at night. You sleep with one eye open because, you know, but what they could do is they had these like really close, that's what it is, close in weapon system, CWIS, close in weapon system, also known as the phalanx. And they had these really sophisticated radars in them. So it's like an R2-D2, but the head of the R2-D2 is actually a very sophisticated radar. And then that radar data would feed down through these big, thick, you know, military-grade cables uh, into a much, much larger and much, much more powerful computer system in the control room. And they could look at the radar screens in the control room while these SeaWiz systems, these phalanx systems, are operating out on. Now, you don't want to be on the outside of the ship when they're going off. One of the reasons is probably you're going to be deaf by the time you get back inside the ship. They are loud. When those things go off, uh, you can be four levels down in the ship, which was pretty much where my, my work area was. Four levels down inside of a heavy 400-foot you know, 400 heavy guided missile cruiser. And you could be four levels down. That's a long way. 
These are stories. It's like a four-story building. And um, you, four levels down, um, and, um, and when these things go off, the entire ship literally vibrates. I mean, if you have a cup of coffee, uh, for real, if you have a cup of coffee sitting on a desk and one of the SeaWiz systems is being tested, which, by the way, they always, you know, <laughs> testing of the SeaWiz port and starboard standby port, Four, three, two, one. It's like that. And the whole room would just shake violently. And if, like I said, if you had a cup of coffee sit, sitting on the table, your coffee would literally vibrate right off the table and smash on the ground. What they had the ability to do, and I don't know if they have a substitute for it or if there's anything new. I have no idea, and I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. But what they had the ability to do is they could track up to, I think it was seven close-in threats at a time. So if North Korea fired um, – now, unfortunately, now with uh, what's called um, hypersonic missiles, SeaWiz is obsolete. It can no longer work. And if there's a new one out there, it does it won't work either. None of our none of the United States of Babylon the Great's anti missile systems have the ability to shoot down or stop a hypersonic missile. Because the the stuff that you shoot at the hypersonic missile by the time it gets to where the hypersonic missile is, the hypersonic missile is like a thousand miles down the road. <laughs> you can't get to them. They're moving too fast, which is why North Korea is going to sink a United States aircraft carrier, and they're going to do it with ease. They're not even going to try. They'll have some North Korean soldier sitting there at a console, and he'll just punch in a couple of things and say, you know, they'll have on the radar where they, where you know, the USS Lincoln or whatever, or whatever, you know, uh, uh, you know aircraft carrier that they're going to shoot down. Who knows? Um, and then they'll just punch in a couple of digits, you know, in the coordinates. It'll show up on their radar screen. It's not any, it's not rocket science for the soldier to just punch them in and punch, 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 fire. And probably about all of two seconds later, because these things go up in the air and then they go straight down into the center of the, sh of, of the ship and, and, and they pierce. They, they'll pierce the actual deck of the aircraft carrier and these things will go down several stories inside the aircraft carrier and then they detonate and the aircraft carrier will split in half and raise up out of the ocean completely into the air and the two pieces will flop down probably upside down back into the ocean and that's that game over 5,000 men then so the kinds of things that are going to be happening in, in our imminent future are going to be pretty bad. But the old SeaWiz system, basically, it could track, back in the day when it was possible to shoot these things down, it could track up the seven incoming missiles at a time, and it would prioritize them. That, one, that threat is coming at me. That missile there, missile A, it would, say, it would see on the radar you would have missile A, missile B, missile C, missile D, missile E, missile F missile G. There's your seven targets. And it would and the computer would calculate the speed at which they were heading toward the ship. They could be coming from multiple trajectories, so they could be fired from multiple sources, uh, many miles apart, 
Some are coming in from the north, some are coming in from the west, some are coming in from the east. Doesn't matter. And that computer would say, okay, A is the first one I shoot down, then I shoot down B, then I shoot down C, then I shoot down D, then I shoot down E, then I shoot down F. And then, by the way, when it starts to get to, you know, once it shoots down A, B, and C, and D, the radar starts to look for more missiles coming in from somewhere else, and it recalculates everything, and then it makes a whole new pattern of A, B, C, D. So it always knows which one's going to come at, at you first. And it always shoots that the, the, the biggest threat, the one that's the, moving the fastest and is the closest to the ship is the one that the Sea Whiz would shoot first. So when you would watch these things in action, if you, if you could find a YouTube video or something of them actually operating, nowadays I don't even think you can find it. But um, if you could watch them doing it, it's really impressive. I mean, it's a Gatling gun. It really is. It's a Gatling gun. That she, seven millimeter, you depleted uranium shells. And it goes, ee, 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 and it moves around really, really fast. And it shoots one missile, next missile, next missile, next missile, next missile, and it doesn't miss. It doesn't miss. Why am I talking about the Sea Whiz missile system? I'll tell you why. Because my whole life, well, my whole life, but a, there are major chapters of my life that I can reflect back on, just like I did the Sea Whiz missile system, or, or uh, the Sea Whiz uh, anti-ship uh, missile system, you know, uh, destroyer, whatever you want to call it. Okay, the failings. The thing about it is, that's a chapter of my life. I was trained on that. I worked. I hung out with these guys. I drank beer with them in Alonga Post City, Philippines. I mean, you know, I, I, my exposure to that system and how it worked and the training that I had was second to none. I mean, you haven't lived <laughs> until you strapped on a safety harness at the 09 level of a guided missile cruiser 100 miles uh, off the coast of Hawaii, Oahu, uh, which is where Pearl Harbor is, okay, uh, and, um, uh, you know, on a beautiful sunny day, and you're like nine stories up, and, you're, and you know, I, believe me, when they told me I had to do this, I looked at them like they were insane. I was like, you're asking me to do what? <laughs> they would hold up the little harness, and they'd say, take this harness, and go up to the 09 level and take this can of oil and open up a little hatch on the side of the radar and you'll see this little place where you can oil it and you got to take it open and you got to use your harness. And let me tell you something, that ship is pitching, they always pitch the left or the right to the port and the starboard, the port and the starboard, the port and the starboard. When it's pitching, you're at the 09 level. Let me tell you something, you're hanging over the ocean. You're nine stories off the deck of the ship. Okay, let me tell you something. That is a trip for somebody who is has a fear of heights like I have. Doing that was enough to make me give birth. Oh, I shouldn't say that. In, in the LGBT LMNOP days, that's kind of a bad thing to say. So I, I, I retracted that comment, that analogy. But anyway, what, why, why do I have these chapters in my life? Why is it when I worked at this Fortune 100 company, and I implemented their entire cybersecurity program, and I was given hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to buy the coolest, what they call point solutions that were available to protect that network, to protect those people, to protect that company from being attacked by hackers. And I was. 
I was literally put in charge of it. I built the entire group. I built the whole entire group. Okay, and I, don't get me wrong. I had a senior manager ahead of me, and I had a, another guy that was called the worldwide director of information security. But I did everything. I mean, I'm not saying that pridefully. I'm just simply saying the facts. The facts are, I built that. I wrote the policies for the entire company worldwide. Ten thousand people worldwide. Twenty-three locations worldwide. I wrote all the information security policies. I I got them every every one of the locations: France, Belgium, Munich, Germany. Everybody had to sign off on it, and I had to make the phone calls and all. But why is this relevant? I'll tell you why. There was a Jewish guy that worked there. Now, some of the systems that I had to install were very similar to the SeaWiz missiles or the anti the anti missile system that I just told you about on 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 the ship. What was so similar? Well, these electronic systems that you would install all over the place on this huge global network of computers in all kinds of locations around the world and South America as well. They would detect hacker activity, and by the way, when you have a lot of sensors and a whole, you know, just humongous network that's worldwide in so many locations, that's a lot of that's a lot of data, that's a lot of missiles heading at you, that's a lot of hackers, and they would break in. They would break in, and then we would set up. And I kid you not, this is the name of it. We would set up what was called a war room a war room, and we would put all of these systems, these electronic sensor systems that would track hackers, we would put a big projector up, and everybody would gather into this boardroom, which we called the war room, and we would look at the logs on the systems, and we would track where the hackers were moving to stop them, to be, get ahead of them, and to stop them, and to kick them off the network, and all that kind of stuff. That Doing that type of work was known as correlation. Which, by the way, is the same thing that the SeaWiz missile system would do. It would correlate all the data on the speed of the missiles, and it would prioritize which one was the worst threat, the second worst threat, the third worst threat, the fourth worst, worst threat. Well, when, so, so there I was 10, was it 10 years, was it 15 years later? I'm building this program to stop hackers, and I'm working on systems that are doing precisely the same thing. As a matter of fact, my Jewish friend, Bill, uh, would joked around. He had a nickname for everybody, and he would call me – my nickname was the Correlator. Now, you know, it was all in fun, and that's fine, but I would walk into the room, you know, the actual operations center where everybody was watching the uh, radar screens looking for hackers, and uh, he would say, it's the Correlator. You know, and he made fun of fun of me, and that's okay. You know, that's how Bill was. Bill was a pretty funny guy. Um, and when he worked at the in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, because he was true blue Jewish and uh, born and raised in uh, Queens, his family was very traditional. And when the boys would reach the age of seventeen or eighteen, they would send them back over to Israel, and they would do five years in the IDF. Standard stuff for them. And the stories that he told me about the time that he was in the IDF, he said, you have no idea the hatred that the Palestinians have. You have no idea. No American understands it. You've got to be there. You've got to experience it. You are dealing with people that hate you so much 
that if you take your eyes off of them, they will throw you on the ground, slice open your stomach, and eat your bowels out while you are screaming. And he told me he saw tons of children, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, with dead Jewish people laying in the middle of the street, disemboweled, and they were eating their innards, the six- and seven-year-old kids. And they would put graffiti on the walls all over Israel, first the Saturday people, then the Sunday people. Circling back to the correlation, a whole other chapter of my life. And what did I do? I identified threats. I prioritized which ones had to be mitigated first, which ones had to be mitigated second, which ones had to be mitigated three, mitigation four, which ones did we stop first, which ones getting closest to the crown jewels. Oh my goodness, this is terrible. We got to stop them. And there I was once again in another chapter of my life, prioritizing threats. And um, I even had an email back then, and the email was threatalizer at yahoo.com. Now, why don't I bring all this up? Because on my 3,000-piece puzzle, on my parchment paper map of the Bible that I've been assembling over the years, with my own personal foibles and flaws and wishes and desires and all those other things that get in the way, the human stuff. I look at my parchment map with the smeared ink. I look at my 3,000-piece puzzle, and I look at the words in the, in, in, in the Bible. I look at the, the last couple of words at the end of the third seal where it says, do not harm the oil or the wine, and I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, that that is talking about the bride of Jesus Christ. What does Luke 21:36 say? Pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. What did we just read in, in, in the, uh, about that word, what, what was it, declination or something like that? You know, essentially referring to the, the abominations that we're all being subject to and all the evil black walls from the bowels of hell that are closing in on us? And then to pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things. My, you know, this circles back to when I said earlier that people will come to me and they will say, I want to tell you that, what, 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 you know, uh, uh, something about, you know, the new millennium. Or I want to talk to you, uh, you know, I want to share with you something about this or something about that. Or, or I want to talk to you about the 144,000. And I'm like, I'm sorry, brother or sister, but I, I mean, I don't mean to hurt your feelings or anything. I said, you know, you know, if I had the time or, you know, we could talk on the phone and you just wanted to share some stuff with me because you were excited. That's cool. If I got the time, which I never do hardly ever. But here's the thing. People are befuddled when I say I don't really care about that. See, because I've already put the 3,000-piece puzzle together on my card table. I already know the parts that are missing. I see the patches that, that, don't, that aren't finished yet. But what I see are all the pieces that I 
that have painted out the puzzle panorama of the photograph on the front of the box. I see the way. I know what the first threat is. I know what the second threat is. I know what the third threat is. I know what the fourth threat is. I can put them in order. And if I can put them in order and I can look at that map and I know that the place that I'm going to is the marriage supper of the Lamb, then why do I care about this other part of the Bible? I mean, don't get me wrong. I've read it. But I'm not going to sit here with a bee in my bonnet, slapping my head and running around in circles because, you know, there's a second Gog and Magog invasion and Satan is left out again. That, it, that troubles me. I don't really want to participate in that. I'll be perfectly frank. I don't. I like the fact that the New Jerusalem comes down to the earth dressed, you know, adorned as a bride. I love that. Because that implies that the bride is fully transformed and in, in living inside the New Jerusalem. And that daggone thing is big. And all the people on the earth are going to say, wow, the Borg have finally arrived. It's the Borg. But boy, is that spaceship colorful. I... We've had Elvi Zapata come on the show and, 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 you know, he would share with us, you know, these dreams and visions that he was given by the Lord about what happens during the new millennium. And I can honestly tell you that there was not one single thing that he talked about that I was interested in. I'm sorry. I'm excited about inheritance. I'm excited about ruling and reigning with Jesus over all of the universes and dimensions and then all of the uh, untold numbers of trillions of life forms across all of the kingdom of God. God, which is everything that God has created, that excites me. Dealing with another Gog and Magog invasion, dealing with Satan being left out again to terrorize the earth, dealing with all of that stuff that I read at the end of the book of Revelation, you know, after Jesus comes back uh, in Revelation 19, reading about all that doesn't excite me all that much. I'm a realist. I focus on, you know, I know... All I know is that all this stuff that's happening around the world right now, when I analyze the threat to us, there is nothing that matters. If it doesn't block us from making it to the wedding supper, it's not important. Oh, but Johnny, how can you say that? I'll tell you why. You don't make it to the wedding supper. You have not become all that you could be. Be all that you can be. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here, um, you know, here I am. Send me. This is the opportunity of 10,000 eternities laid before us right now. This opportunity to make it to the wedding supper of the bride as part of the barley harvest, the first watch. If there were 10,000 lifetimes that we had to go through, it would not change one thing. Because if your 3,000-piece puzzle doesn't show you exactly which way to go to make it to that wedding supper of the Lamb as part of the barley harvest, you have missed. Oh, but there's always the wheat harvest. There is, is there? Well, yes, there is. If you live that long... If you live that long, if you pay close attention to the reading of the ceremony vision of 1979, 
after that massive mega tsunami and the entire earth being shook by the meteor that strikes off the coast of Puerto Rico and sends a thousand foot tidal wave over the uh, east coast of the United I bought a relief map. Do you know what a relief map is? It's a three-dimensional map, and you can put your hands over it, and you can feel the mountains and everything. I wanted to see how far up that 1,000-foot tidal wave was going to go into the Babylon the Great, because you need a relief map to be able to visualize it. It's far. 22 million people are supposed to die when that tidal wave hits. Um, Pastor Augusto Perez was on the program one time, and he said, well, I saw that I saw that tidal wave hit Florida, and I said, yeah, I'm in Tampa. I figure I'm going to get washed out. And he, he's a very kind man, and he said, he said well, I, I, you know, in my vision, I, I'm not really sure it made it all the way up to Tampa. <laughs> now, that's a really nice guy. But you know what? Let's face the reality. Florida is a sandbar. It's a sandbar. There are parts of Florida, not very large, like up in the Ocala area and closer to Tallahassee, which are essentially extensions of Alabama. But the rest of the state is a sandbar. If, if a person is a homeowner and they walk out in their backyard and they say, I'm going to plant this little starfruit tree. I have a starfruit tree out back. As a matter of fact, I've had it for 20 years and I have never tasted a starfruit before except about a week ago. Um, that lady, Lori, that I'm helping out with the room downstairs, she's evidently some kind of a starfruit freak. So she goes out and she picks a bunch of the starfruit and brings them in and slices them up. And she goes, you've never had one? What's the matter with you? Taste this. This thing is like heaven. And I did. I had a piece of starfruit. And I was kind of tripping out. I was like, this is really, really good. I, and now I kind of feel bad about the untold numbers of starfruit that I just never bothered to go get. Got an avocado tree, a mango tree, and a starfruit tree. Used to have two lime trees, too, but they unfortunately didn't make it because I was a, I'm a very bad plant person, unfortunately. But here's the thing. Back to the point. Look at everything. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Jews, the Hebrews, Caleb, you know, the, the giants before the flood, after the flood, you know, then, you know, oh, my gosh, all these things that happened. God bowing the heavens, which is basically faster than light speed. We talked about that hyper. Oh, my gosh. The list is just goes on and on and on and on. Look at all the amazing things that are in just the Bible. Oh, Wow. Look at all the amazing things. You know, it says the last scripture in the book, in the Gospel of John said, and we suppose if we had written everything down that Jesus had done, it would fill up enough books to fill up the entire world. Which, by the way, is the verse that you want to hand anybody who says, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> you know what I mean? Hand them the last verse in the in the Gospel of John and say, excuse me, at what point in your life did you get the impression that everything is in the Bible? So, with this wide stroke of the brush understanding of who we are, I'm not even getting into pre-existence, Psalm 82, minor gods, incarnation, all that stuff. Ye shall die like men. Have I not said ye are gods? John 10:34. Jesus said so. He said so. Jesus. <laughs> 
Have I not said in your law that ye are gods? Little g. Why is our Heavenly Father called Yahvael, God of gods? And who are all those spirit beings in uh, 1 Kings 22.19? Or is it 2 Kings 22.19? i got to go look it up again. But anyway, you know, when, when, when Micaiah saw that, it was just one of the most amazing scriptures in the entire Holy Bible. Absolutely mind-blowing. At the end of the day, with this unbelievable Rembrandt of amazingness, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the very end of the Bible, all 31,102 verses from the Texas Receptus. All of it. CBDCs, digital IDs, directed energy weapons doing horrible things, 15-minute cities, another COVID lockdown, BA.6, a much, much worse pandemic on the way. We've got the pitch black directed energy weapon Mountain Dew can from back around 2019. Did you know that there is a documentary from National Geographic? You can find it on Amazon. What you will discover very rapidly, that it is no longer available. But it's still published. It's still there on Amazon. Type into Amazon... American Blackout, and look at the DVD. I have that documentary. I own it. I bought it back when it was available, widely, back when they were showing it on television. Long, long time ago. American Pie. Why is it that documentary is called American Blackout? Why doesn't it say Swedish blackout or European Union blackout or Zimbabwe blackout? Why does it say American blackout? In the last documentary that I've watched, I I don't remember it, and I watch too much stuff sometimes, but anyway... I was talking about the power grid. I think it was a, a repeat or a, uh, from a uh, 60 Minutes episode. And the expert that they were interviewing said there are three large substations that if they were destroyed, just these three, the entire United States would go black and we would be jettisoned back into the 1700s. The only thing is we wouldn't have harpsichords and women dressed in corsets and we wouldn't be dancing properly instead of abominably, abominably, abominably. They had so much class back then. I really liked the colonial period. like it a lot. It's like, how dare you man say something like that to me? I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> Uh, threats. Prioritization of threats. Who are we in Christ? Who are we in Christ? Where are we in our sanctification? 
If you were sitting in the same room as Jesus, even if there was a bunch of other believers with you, and one of them said to Jesus, Lord, of all the things that we ought to do, of all the things or all the goals, looking at the entire Bible, what would you tell us to focus on the most? Is there anyone that doubts that Jesus would say, the barley harvest? Is there anyone that doubts for a millisecond, maybe even a nanosecond, that Jesus would say, the wedding supper, to be my bride? I doubt that you would be accurate. I think it's reasonable to look at your 3,000-piece puzzle and to see at the other end that wedding supper where Jesus is and where his first watch bride is, the barley harvest. And you would see even on your crinkled up parchment paper smeared ink map that one way or the other you had to get to that wedding supper. So where your focus would need to be is at any threat, any behavior, any lack of appropriate behavior, anything in your life that could prevent you from making it to that wedding supper. That threat needs to be shot down first. And then the next threat. And then the next threat. And I speak from a personal experience. And I will never claim that I have arrived. Because I pray always, always to be found worthy to be found worthy to escape all these things. If we have to pray to be found worthy, what does that imply? That we're not worthy. But that Jesus or our Father or the both of them might find us worthy, counted worthy. Not because of anything that we did, because we're bummer lambs. We know who we love. And we know who loves us. And that's where we want to go more than anything. So we all need to focus as much of our, the energy of our lives, the power of our prayers and the actions of our heart and how we touch other people's lives as we wait and we watch. And little by little, you will emotionally swing from the I can't take it anymore column to the I get excited about being at the wedding supper column. When you look at all these evil things that are threats to each of us, 
if there's any one of us that can look at the things that happen in Maui, look at the American blackout that is coming, which, by the way, the experts project that more millions of people will die in the first couple of weeks of that blackout in the United States. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people will die. Planes will fall from the sky. Uh, it's going to be horrible. Think about this. When you look at all these things that the evil fallen seraphim, these entities that eat people, and they do, all of these evil things that they have done and that they're planning to do to slaughter us, the Georgia Guidestones, not only be real, but to be fully fulfilled. No wonder Jesus said, if I had not cut those days short, there would be no flesh saved. There would be no flesh, no flesh. They want to murder us all. They're not picky. They want to murder us all. And the more painful and horrible it is, the better it is for them. They hate our guts. We were made in God's image, and they hate him even more than they hate us. When you get your arms around that, the Bible comes alive. Now we know what days needed to be cut short, don't we? The days that we're in right now. So if we know that the fig tree is showing its green buds, we know the season that we're in, we see the threats all around us closing in like filthy abomination black walls from the pits of hell to slaughter us wholesale. And we know exactly what Jesus meant about those days being cut short, that, it flesh, that there would be no flesh saved. Because we are in those days. So take with you encouragement and joy. As you see things growing even darker around you, you see more threats that are scary, because they are scary. They are. But just remember, just remember this little verse that I pulled up on my little deck of verse cards right before the show. James 1, 7, I'm sorry, 1, 2 through 4. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what translation this is. But it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many different kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces patience, or in this case it says perseverance. Look at your map. Look at your 3,000-piece puzzle set. Look at what's happening all around you. Scary, huh? Now focus your eyes on the prize. Look at the wedding supper. 
and now take out every threat that threatens your the opportunity that you have before you to be part of the barley harvest, the first fruits, the bride of Jesus Christ, and to escape, to be pulled off of this earth and go to that wedding supper and stand before Jesus. Now, if that don't give you joy, then you've got some heart blockage going on. You probably need a stent. Because <laughs> it gives me joy. I don't have anything to be joyful about. Except that. Thank you, Jesus. Knock out the threats. And I will tell you, like I said, with firsthand, firsthand testimony, that I had probably one, two, three, four. There were probably about four major behaviors. I don't know if you want to call them major. I don't know what to call them. But anyway, I had about four behaviors that I systematically went after with my C-Wiz missile system, you know, close-in weapon system. And I prioritized them. I said, well, I got to take, I got to get rid of this behavior. I got to get rid of this behavior. I got to get rid of this behavior. I just knew in my heart that it wasn't okay. It's not okay. And I went after each one of them in prayer, and I mean fervent, tears rolling down my eyes, begging God for help begging Jesus for help, praising him every day that there would be a change because I couldn't do it myself. That's it. I was convinced that I couldn't do it myself. And I would not stop praising God. And you know what? Right now, let me think. I might change my mind on this tomorrow, but right at this moment in time, I cannot think of any of those that still exist in my life. is a miracle. And that miracle came from Jesus. It was the Jesus who and the Father, because I had the patience of Abraham, and I praised him knowing that he was going to give me the answers to those prayers, because they were holy and they were righteous. And they glorify God. But I had to be patient and I had to keep praising God. And little by little, it all kind of just dissolved away into a deep blue sea of God's forgiveness and forgetfulness. And I look back on them and I I just have a hard time even remembering what they were. Now that's a miracle. Take out those threats. Focus your prayers. Identify anything that's going to slow you down, impede your walk, block your path to get to the other side of that 3,000-piece puzzle right there where Jesus and all of us are going to meet at the wedding supper. Because that, that's the prize. Nothing else matters. Because you don't get another chance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're not going to come back and reincarnate and whatever. The... No, this is it. And you know what? It ought to make you happy. Because when you look at all this evil stuff, that when you think about it in the flesh, it's really unnerving. It's very troubling. 
It creeps you out. It gives you anxiety attacks. You're thinking to yourself, oh, my gosh, what happens if they take away? I mean, my house is owned by Chase, for crying out loud, one of the big four banks that are going to be part of the CBDC empire. You know, you think they're going to have any mercy on me? No. I'm not afraid. Sometimes when I think about it in the flesh, I get a little creeped out. But then I close my eyes. And I start to talk to the Lord. Father, I trust you. I trust you, Father, and I thank you. I praise your name. My Jesus calling for today says, You are always there, Father, to comfort me and to encourage me. I like to think about David in the Bible. Even when men were threatening to attack and stone him, he found strength in you, Father. I can do what David did, Lord. I can come to you in prayer and remember how awesome you are. Praise God. Now, on that note, because I've been naughty, not intentionally, we should go ahead and take communion and call it a night. And I'm, uh, as I'm, as you hear the slight pause, I'm like reaching for my my chalice and my uh, my wine. I stopped using the uh, Mount Hermon, and I'm using a wine called Adorn. Adorn. The New Jerusalem comes down adorned as a bride. I just think it's so apropos. It's called Adorn. And... And my unleavened bread, or otherwise known as matzah. It's essentially a cracker of some kind. Praise God. Okay, thank you, Jesus. I'll just set this over here. Okay, here we go. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for revealing in whatever manner that you see or feel in your in the spirit through the godhead through us for we are no longer even alive really we are no we are no longer live it is Christ who lives in us the holy spirit who resides in the temple which is us which means that we reside in the midst of the presence and power of the godhead and what a blessing and peace that ought to give each of us. As we start to feel that twinge of anxiety, clearly seeing the threats heading at us. Each warhead of every missile, each growly face of every hacker that is trying to prevent us from getting to that wedding supper melts away when we close our eyes and dwell in the secret place of the Most High. On the day in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in that same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For all of you, and me too, I hope. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Ani, Ladodi, Vadodi, Lee. You are, um, we, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you all and thank you for joining us tonight. We will see you next Friday. Lord willing. Praise God. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise His holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure. Until you come back for your bride to set her free. Write our names in your book of life. We are cleansed through your holy sacrifice. As we lift your name on high. Renew our mind. Renew our soul, remove the scars from our past and deem us righteous. We rebuke all deceptive lies. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then, we will endure. We are the branches. On a living tree When will your coming